mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe it? So we're on episode 58, which makes it the Kendra episode. Ooh, a Kendra. If you've heard me uh, refer to Giggles. A couple times, times, yeah. Giggles is Kendra. Okay. And who's she attached to? Simple Joe. Okay. (laughs) Yes. She looks like an American Girl doll. (laughs) <laughs> she's she's giggly. She seems like a sweet person, but I think she's perfectly matched for Joe because I think they both just just go, go through life. Yeah, I mm. think they just kind of like I don't think that they're like super harmful. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I feel like there's per- people in this cult that you're like, "Oh, you're you're really in this for the power." Mm. The boobs, the the pest like there's just mm-hmm. certain what well, i think that joe's just like this is what i know this and i'm not gonna do. i'm not gonna question anything and i think that they're pretty well matched okay and just popping out babies like <laughs> at a rapid pace Copy but that. yeah so kendra kendra okay so i don't really have any official orders of business but i do have one thing i want to point out mm-hmm. several people this week have either tried crispy crowns for the first time based <laughs> off of our recommendation, mm-hmm. our high praise, or have had them previously and went and bought them this week and were just like, oh, yeah, they're the best. So, you know, I just want to say, Orida, you're welcome. We should be sponsored by Orida. Hashtag not an ad. Hashtag should, should be, be an, an ad. Orida, if you're out there. Mr. Jonathan Orida, if you're listening to this podcast. I want to say something. Uh, Listener Jen, she's Mm. a local-ish around here. Okay. Pointed out to me that she she was like, oh, my husband just found out when they were on a trip and like driving in the area. When she told him that Orida meant Oregon, Idaho, Mm -hmm. that his mind was blown. And I was like, (laughs) I didn't know that. Did you fucking know that? Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was like, I didn't. And she was like, are you fucking serious? And I'm like, I had no idea. I'm like, but I don't think about the names of, of like the fucking potato company. Yeah. So I was just as mind blown as her husband. But I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So. Because when we were, we went to see the Foo Fighters up in Washington and we went to George. That's the name of the of the city or the town, I guess. George. It was George Washington. They have a, a music venue called The Gorge. That wasn't... I knew about The Gorge. I didn't know the name of the city, the town, city Because they call that The Gorge at George. I didn't know that. I just knew it was The Gorge. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. So th- that's a lot of like high desert. There's a lot of like flat land up there, a lot of farmland up there. There's apples and um, a lot of potatoes. So a lot of the manufacturers that we buy potato products from in the industry have farms and plants up there because there's big like signs and stuff um so that was where i first saw that there was a sign for that Hmm. 
Well, I had no idea. Makes sense. I just mm-hmm. never put thought into it. Mm-hmm. But anyways, crispy crowns. If you're on the fence about it, it's worth the $6 for the bag. <laughs> it's kind of pricey because it's like, Orida's the only one that makes them. Yeah. But worth it. So Very good. good. Um, so that's as official as the official business gets. Okay. Um, I just wanted to have a very brief Mildred minute. Dee dee dee. Little Mildred is so ready for fall. Like her mother. Like her mother, yes. <laughs> so with Mildred, I feel, I remember there was a day in like, what was it, April? Where we were like, we we were all sitting on the couch. We call, we call it couch time. When, mm-hmm. As a family, we all sit together on the couch. Oh, my God. In and front of, like, three fans. But she's so sweet. She goes back. Because we kind of sit. Like, we don't, like, it's too hot. Tim and I don't, like, snuggle on the couch. Right. So we're kind of, like, at opposite ends. Or I'm in the middle and he's on one end. And Mildred's the sweetest little thing. And she literally goes back and forth between us. Mm-hmm. Like, making sure that each of us is getting, like, equal attention. It's so sweet. Like, she mm-hmm. sits and she's, like, with me for a little bit. Then she gets up and she goes and sits with Tim. Yeah. She, She's a considerate little soul. Yeah. And it's even funnier because we notice every time where she's sitting on my lap and then there's no like provocation. I'm not like, I don't like tap her or anything. Like, no, there's nothing. You, you, you kind of feel her go, okay. And she like just sits up and stands and walks over and then assumes gives me the love next position. and like, yeah. like boops me and gives me kisses. And then, mm-hmm. you know, she's a little fucking sweetheart. Very if thoughtful. you haven't picked up on that. But I remember we were having family couch time in April and she was sitting with us and then she got up, jumped down onto the tile and sprawled out. And I was like, it's here. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember back in the day. Oh, man, this is a fucking era. Remember when I used to do bulletproof coffee? Mm-hmm. Remember those days? I loved So we had a lot coffee. of coconut oil in the house and I used to base the seasons off of the coconut oil. <laughs> now that I'm done with that era of my life, um, Mildred tells us when it's switched over mm. so i remember that night when when she gets off the couch and goes and sprawls onto the tile to cool off i was like it's here it's, it's- even funny where funnier when she gets up from a lap and you hear her sigh because she'll be sitting on my lap and it'll start to get hot and i'll literally hear her go <sighs> and then stand up <laughs> She's fucking and then go and lay and on the tile yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so i remember that night texting like in the sister and mom thread that i have and i was like you guys just letting you know it the weather's changed mildred and my oldest sister was like that's funny you say that because her poodle winston who has helped assisted me in two then mm-hmm. deep dives and is on our feed she was like winston did the same thing tonight and i'm like the animals know like when yeah. it like switches over you know mm-hmm. so anyways we have in our household what we call cuddle season. Cuddle season is when it's not hot as balls and you can stand to cuddle for more than 61 yep. seconds, right? Mm-hmm. You can tell Mildred's fucking over the heat because she's trying to force cuddling again, <laughs> even though it's still way too hot for it. Mm-hmm. But like, so Mildred's love language is face smushing. <laughs> she likes to be cheek to cheek with me. She mm-hmm. likes to like hug my neck. Mm-hmm. I've posted about this in yep. stories and things. Just recently. Yeah. So she, that's her love language. But during the summer, that goes to like a, <laughs> that goes away. So when she starts trying to do it again, I'm like, she is over fucking summer. And she is like, can it be fall? And I feel like she's trying to force it because she was just like, no, we're cuddling. Yeah. It's cuddle season. It's cuddle season. Yep. I do want to have a go back real quick. You said that we used to tell the seasons by the coconut oil. 
it's because it solidifies when it's a certain temperature. And then during the summer, because we live in Arizona, like a bunch of schmucks, we uh, it's purely liquid in that jar. I passed the the coconut oil in the store the other day, and it's just clear. Oh yeah, like every jar. Yeah. And I'm like, and you're in an no air conditioned. You're jar. in an you're in an air conditioned building, but it's still it doesn't matter. Like this is where I say to people, I'm like, you think, oh, you just have air conditioning. It doesn't matter. You're in an air conditioning building. Yeah. The coconut oil knows. It doesn't lie. <laughs> it knows. You know. It yeah. knows what's going on outside, and it acts accordingly. That oil don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> so I don't have the coconut oil in the house anymore, but we have Mildred. Yeah. So Mildred is hinting at, like, let's be done with this shit. Mm-hmm. And I agree. She's ready for cuddle season. Okay, so that is the official business this week. That was in a very brief Mildred minute. I, I know. I should have done the full intro music. I know. <laughs> you just did a diddy diddy when it should have been a diddy 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 diddy. Yep, exactly. Yep, exactly. Okay, actual episode information. It is called Old McDugger Had a Farm. I see what they did there. I, I know. And it premiered on October 20th of 2009. So the episode starts off right away. Mm-hmm. With a bingo square. Yep. Because John David speaks. His his agent was must have been putting in some like hard requests for some time for him. For real. Because the thing about it is it's both in scene and talking head. I mean, yep. he got a double whammy. Mm-hmm. He's explaining how one of the, the trees on their property is dead and now it's a hazard. So they need to cut it down. Mm-hmm. They have a 66-foot lift, like, boom type thing um, to do it with, which JD explains that they got in an auction because auctions have been Legos go-to lately for purchasing items to resell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now in this... Oh, no, never mind. Forget what I was... I was about to say that we don't see, see Lego much this episode, but we do. Never mind. <laughs> He's just not in this front half. Yeah. Rapid fire, we get another square because Josiah makes a talking head appearance for the first time in quite a while. Yeah. It's been mm-hmm. a minute. And he says, quote, John, he's very diligent. Yep. So Mark is, is diligent. I feel so much pressure in the moment. So <laughs> much oh, there we go. Okay. She's he, taking her original board back, by the way. Yeah. I just want to point that out. We just mixed it up once. We'll see. She was mad because she didn't If you win. get another one, we're permanently switching. <laughs> I'm so ready. Um, so he's very diligent, hard worker, and if there's a task for him, he gets it done. Um, and then John David says that he gets his worth ethic from his dad. Then we just see scenes of them start, um, like, you know, basically starting at the top of the tree and working their way down, cutting off all the branches to just mm-hmm. kind of leave like that center yep. portion, like the trunk. And now is when it becomes much more clear that production is clearly making John David a focus. <laughs> and the tree was just kind of like the, you the know, back, like the opener, like the lead. The in catalyst. To, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because then they ask him if there are any prospects on the horizon as far as women are concerned. I want to point something out. The times that they brought this up recently with the older kids, I know it's editing and I know that. I know that they're cutting a lot of material out of these talking heads, but it feels like when they're bringing it up, it feels very abrupt. Yeah. Like they're talking about other things and all of a sudden it's like, 
Any prospects? I will say, though, there's a tiny part of me that's glad to see it now get put on a guy. One of the boys. Oh, yeah. Because it's been on all the girls previously. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, not that it's ever like, okay. Like, it's just like, it's late. To me, it's lazy. You know what I mean? It's like a lazy fucking question. It's like, when when, 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 is there any fucking... That's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, It definitely feels that way. So not that I necessarily want John David to have to put up with the two, but I'm like, before it was always at Jill and stuff like that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. fine. It's like, let's... At least it's not just all the girls. Yeah, agree. So, so his reply is, um, not really. I guess just kind of, sort of, maybe. He was very Lego hair in this part. Like he should have been laughing through his nose, like his dad does. Yeah, but it was the same <laughs> the energy. The nose scrunch laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the same energy. Yeah, kind of, sort of, maybe. You know, very descriptive. Right. Right. <laughs> And, okay, this is up for discussion because we're a married couple and we discuss things, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Duggar Times Square. Tell me how you feel. They're asking Josiah where John David is and he says that he doesn't know. Then Soundman Jim chimes in and he says that they're waiting on him so that they can start sawing down the tree like like i said so they've taken off all the branches but it's like taking it down to the ground like via trunk you know and he says it's been oh an hour and 15 minutes but apparently we're approaching readiness do you feel like that's duggar time i totally do but i also feel like they didn't really go over the fact of did he like disappear that's what it sounds to me i took it as he disappeared and everybody was like, we're here to film. We're, the t- we're taking down this tree. Which the reason I even say is this Duggar time is you remember back when I, um, one of the guys was like, yeah, we're usually waiting around. And he was just like some like it was like when production was literally making it sound like we end up waiting on Jim Bob type thing. So that's why I and we were like, oh, yeah, Duggar time. Right. So for them kind of being like production is sort of waiting on John David is why I equated it to Duggar time. Yeah, it felt the same. So you think that's a square? I do think it's a square, but everything about it just felt weird. Yeah. It was just filmed weird, and I felt like in my head, I was like, did he actually just, like, disappear? That's how it felt. Or was he just, like, going away to get ready? For an hour and 15 minutes? (laughs) Like, they they already had the boom there. He had already, he had all the equipment out, because they were already taking off all the like branches that's a long time to be away like i felt like everything was there already i didn't think they had done anything i didn't think they had taken the branches yet yeah because he was starting from the top and working his way down i know but this was them waiting for him to actually start like they hadn't done anything yet this was later Hmm. when you see the shot they've already Mm -hmm. taken off the branches and they've left the trunk they're waiting for him to come back to finish the job that's weird i didn't remember it that way yeah that's weird because this comes later. They're not just backtracking and saying, oh, we're waiting for him to start. They'd already been showing him taking off all of the branches. Hmm. Interesting. So he just disappeared in the middle of it all. Yeah, it's weird. And now, if we didn't have them in the same square, we'd get another square. But <laughs> Joe speaks to husband of giggles. because Mr. Um, giggles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mr. Giggles. Mr. Giggles. He speaks. So, both the quiet Duggar boys are getting chatty this week. Oh, man. Kind of. I mean, <laughs> kind of. 
but um, it continues to foc- to be like a focus piece on John. Mm-hmm. As Joe says that John used to be really afraid of heights until they built the tater top mansion. <laughs> and just like, look at what he does now. He's just up yeah. on this boom and like, you know, or like whatever. And Josiah continues to sing praises of all the things that John can do and fix and things like that. You know what I've realized about Josiah and all these in all these talking heads is that he does that little I wouldn't consider him a little kid. Like he's not like like the younger like the lost boys, but he's at the point where you're trying to be as verbose as possible to make it sound like you're like putting together know some big thoughts. what the fuck thoughts. you're talking about. <laughs> but he repeats himself a lot. Yeah, yeah. And in this, when he's talking about him, he's like, yeah, you know, w- you know, when things are broken, you know, he just fixes it. And, you know, when things aren't working right, he just, you know, gets in there and, and, and gets them gets fixed. And like, he just keeps yeah, saying. You just slightly reword the exact same sentiment over and over and yeah. over. Yeah. They must have gotten that from their father. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Work ethic and repeating the same shit over and over. Got it from your father. <laughs> So now John David's focus piece, it comes to an end. Oh. Guess his big, um, you know, like his people, they negotiated for like a solid three minutes. Mm, but, you yeah. know, that's something. Yeah. That's Better than what we've been getting. It's, it's so. a start. Now, flash forward, they're in Oklahoma City, which is mm-hmm. about four hours away from their house. Mm-hmm. Which they did not specify four hours in Duggar time or four hours in just like map quest time. Yeah. Oh my god. Map quest. That the fact We're that I said map quest just to, like and that came out naturally. That tells you <laughs> that I didn't say Google Maps. The fact that I said map quest tells you exactly how old I am. Well, there was an era where map quest was the verb. Well, I like, remember I remember going to Disneyland with my best friend and sister via MapQuest. <laughs> and like when when things didn't turn out the way you thought, you just hoped for the fucking best. You turned around to try to find the road that you were on before. Yeah. Fucking disaster. <laughs> so they're at the, so here in Oklahoma City, they're at the Orr family farm and they're greeted by Dr. Glenn Orr. Who might I say is fucking rocking overalls. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that. In snark, <laughs> I love an overall. <laughs> Truly, I really do. I mean, um, overall, she's a fan. Very much. Merp. Merp, merp. No, I really do. Like, to this day, <laughs> like, currently, I have a dark wash uh, overall, and I have a black overall. Mm. And I got to tell you, when I wear them, I get compliments. I used to do <laughs> wardrobe Wednesday posts on my blog, and when mm. I posted about um, overalls, people were like, uh... And that's when I learned that people call them bibs in other places. Yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. I did not know previously. But they're <laughs> like, I love that you still wear bibs. Uh, you know, I don't know other people that still do. And, I, and I'm like, no, I fucking love a bi- I love a bib. I love an overall. So th- I'm gen- I am genuine when I say that Dr. Orr rocking the fucking overalls. <laughs> overall loves them. Bib fan. Yep. Except for the, there's there's like the Duggar Prairie dress bib I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. So I'll just stick with saying overalls because I feel like it's distinguishing. <laughs> this is where I um, I have a cell phone belt clip. Facts. Is that where you have yours? I was very surprised that in all the other, I looked, I didn't oh, see. Oh, I it. was looking hard. Yeah, I didn't. They they must have cut around the cell phone belt clip. It did. It felt like it cut off, and I was like, I should be seeing John David in a fucking belt <laughs> clip right now. Okay, so. 
we get our belt clip. And the first thing they're getting ready to do at the farm is to go on this like mini train type ride mm -hmm. where each person gets to sit in their own little individual car that's made of a barrel. Yeah. And it's pulled by like a little tractor. Tractor, yes. Yeah. So it's like a tractor train ride. Mm -hmm. And Ginger says, this is so cool. I love it. And she gives the thumbs up, which she is known for. Mm -hmm. Signature, yep. signature move. And, and she seems genuine and, and sincere, mm -hmm. right? And not sarcastic, like in her tone. Like she thinks, I, I buy it. Like mm -hmm. she seems like she means it. Did you see the ginger face at the end? The second she thought the camera was not exactly. on her. Exactly. Was a hard ginger face. I mean, so the camera begins to pan past her to the next little barrel train car. And and I will say she's kind of looking up and brushing hair away from her face when she makes the ginger face. So here's what here's what my conclusion. I think ginger is a lot like me. I think she suffers from a mild case of RBF. The or, ska band Real Big Fish. Um, I guess in their case, it would be RBC. There you go. Very nice. But also just that I, I feel like even her reset face just is always is kind a funny of like face. that. Too, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like even when like it's not that she is it's not that she's being fake. I think she was genuine. Mm -hmm. But I think in the moment that she was like, I'm being happy. And then the second that that like kind of like passes, mm -hmm. the reset face is RBC, you yeah. know? Well, so when you do things, I think all of us do things. I feel like we make funny faces because nobody's watching us. Like think about like you getting ready and like you scratching your like your side or your back or something like you're going to make a weird face because you're yes. like, Ugh you know yeah and we would never know that unless we were paying attention or if we were being recorded so yeah. i think it's that so i can relate to her because i already suffer from rbc um people think i'm mad when i'm not i'm just focused or thinking or fucking breathing and people she can't think hide her true <laughs> feelings when <laughs> yeah. anyone's telling her anything no mm -hmm. uh, so i already think i have that then on top of all of that my emotions are on my face which sometimes is a direct reflection of how i feel other times it's not though like mm -hmm. that's what i'm saying by people thinking that i'm mad when i'm not I'm like no that's really not <laughs> like i don't know uh, like I said, when I was a waitress, I remember like people asking stupid questions and they were like, I wish you could see the look you just gave me. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. But it's when, <laughs> it's when they ask for the brown bread or like the floppy cheese. And I'm like, oh, Christ. The floppy but cheese. They, yeah, and I'd be like, American cheddar, Swiss or pepper jack. And they'd be like, the floppy one. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. I made a face. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Be more descriptive. <laughs> I think you mean American, though. <laughs> I'm down with the RBC. Yeah, you know me. That's what went through my head. <laughs> um, but I will say, though, Tim, Tim, a few months ago. So I already have this problem with my face. Okay. You talk about I have this problem with my face. It's it's a thing. A few months ago, I had a very troubling realization about myself that I'm still to this day working through. Okay. One day I noticed something I did. And then I caught it another time, and then I caught it another time, and I'm like, this is a full thing that I have no idea how many years this has been going on. It's troublesome to me. I realized 
that when I am sending a text or a message to someone on my phone, while I'm searching for the proper face emoji, I'm making the face. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about when you said precious cargo over and over again. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. So you make the emoji face that you're looking for. That I'm for. looking for. <laughs> and I'm like, how? No, this is trouble. No, honestly, I'm. Cons- this is troubling too. How many times have I been in public? How long have I had an iPhone with fucking emoji boards? How many years have I been out in public sending a text message? And I'm like, making the fucking face of the emoji I'm looking for. So when you're looking for the cat with heart eyes, are you making my eyes, heart I, eyes? I think my eyes just get big. You know what I mean? Or like. I'm just telling you that it happened once and I was like, whoa, 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 this had to be a one-time thing. And then I caught myself. I feel like once you catch yourself in something, like then you're like, nope, You'll this is a You'll re- never not yeah. catch yourself. And so yeah. like sitting on the couch today, replying to someone, I'm like, I just did it again. Like it's, <laughs> I look, probably look crazy out in public. No, honey. So you don't. my face is a problem top to bottom. Is the moral of the story. Oh, man. That's very... So I don't know that Ginger necessarily has the same problem with emojis as me, but I do know that we have the same face problem inherently. Okay. That's a... It's, you're very brave to confess that. Yep. No, it's really embarrassing. I don't know. Like, I literally was like, oh, God, what have I been doing? Like, it distresses me to this day. Oh, my God. I'm saying it now in like, haha, but it's literally something that I think about. Put it put it out there into the universe. Own it. It's not hurting anybody. But the like own you, it because it'll take away its power. Like think about me standing there. in line. Think about me. You know, you're standing in line with your cart at the grocery store. I got my foot up on the little thing. I'm leaning forward. I'm on my phone and I'm making fucking weird faces. That's weird. <laughs> people think I'm crazy. I guarantee you, most people are not paying attention to you being on your phone. God willing. Oh, man. Okay. All right, heart eyes, cat so, emoji, so you, where are we at? So you covered ginger face is what I'm getting at. That's correct. Okay. So they go on that little tractor train ride thing, and now they're getting on the pony ride where they walk. You know, it's just like when the ponies like walk in a circle. Mm-hmm. When suddenly you hear Justin yell, James, your horse is pooping. Your horse is pooping, yep. So they have to stop and clean it up, and Lego says... We have to do that quite a bit around here. Our place, too. And the people at the farm, they don't, like, pick up on the joke. Mm-mm. And they reply, do you? You have quite a, a few, do you? And then Lego says, we have something to catch it with, though. Diapers. And then they get it. Yeah. And then they laugh. But, yeah. like, they were not picking it up. It was not it. a fully-fledged joke. Yeah. yeah. There was no context given. Can I have one go back? Oh, yeah. As they're, they do show a scene where they're, like, they pan all the way up the the train, the tractor train, and then the tractor takes off. And, you know, so the the cameraman's, like, standing there as all the carts are going by. There was a tight-lipped kiss. Oh, was there? Because Lego, oh. Lego and Cannon were in the same little car. And she was, like, because they're adult size, she was kind of having to sit on his lap. And as the camera goes by he like looks at her and then like kisses her and i'm like do you gotta like See, i remember gotta? her sitting in the lap but i must have stopped kind of i must have been looking past it and i missed like the lip lock 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were you were doing like confused emoji or? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I was I was I had the head like the head to the the hand to the forehead emoji, and I'm looking. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm doing. Uh... I I literally. My entire life can be summed up by the emojis now because that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, like, when I look confused, I'm the confused emoji. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking about cats, I got... If I, if it's, if it's you send me a funny cat video, I'm mm-hmm. the laughing cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you send me a cute cat video, I'm the hard eyes cat. Cat with hard eyes, yep. Mm-hmm. If something is yeesh, I'm the one with the teeth. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like or, that one. I, I use that a lot. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's a yeesh emoji my favorite one is the one that just has flat lines for the eyes and the mouth oh yeah and i call it the are you fucking kidding me (laughs) emoji because it's like (sighs) and but but what's embarrassing is as like i'm keeping calm in this moment i got her back on it but the embarrassing thing is i literally Uh... can feel what i do with my face like as you're saying this i know what i do (laughs) and that's embarrassing (laughs) i need to not be in public ever again (laughs) ever again Keep me in this home. Oh, Lock me up like Shelly Miscavige. <laughs> Don't ever let me out ever again. Uh, getting back to it, the last thing there shouldn't, there is not a bingo square. Make sure you get tight lip lock. I did. Okay. There is not a bingo square for this, but I do feel like if we redo these for the next season, we need to have uh, pushing thumbs up. Oh yeah. Because the kids do it too. So it's like putting the thumbs up on stuff, but then they have to like push it, zoom it into you so you see it closer. That's kind of how. It so feels. they know you like they really mean it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. So, like the, we said, the ponies pooping. The ponies pooping took Doctor <laughs> Doctor a while to figure it out. They get yep. it now. They laugh. Mm-hmm. Yada. Yoder. 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 So, Cannon says, there was a few of them that at first they thought they wanted to, to but then Jennifer said, no, thank you. Um, and I kind of wonder if Jessa was part of that crowd. Like, if is it just the candy cosplaying as poop <laughs> that sends her over, you know, that's like a hard line? <laughs> or is it just fecal matter in general? General, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. yeah, just wondering. But yeah, Jennifer, or Jennifer. Jennifer, yeah. Um, she was uninterested. <laughs> she made it clear, you know, I, I feel like the thing about Jennifer is that she's generally, generally, <laughs> generally, yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Jennifer is generally pretty quiet. She's a yeah. little more of a serious toddler, mm-hmm. like, you know, but I feel like she pipes up when it's important. So I remember <laughs> she piped up when she did not want Lego doing her hair. That was pretty good. And she says a f- big Fuck no to pony rides. <laughs> like, they're trying to, like, put her on the horse, and she's, like, losing her yeah. shit. Like, she's like, nope, nope, nope. Like, she's... Yep. I'll give her. That girl speaks... She advocates for herself. So, good for you, Jennifer. Yeah. Communicate your needs, you know? Yep. So, this next scene is pure gold. Digging for gold, actually. Oh, my. Because it's a talking head of our girl, Johanna, and her little buddy, Jackson... The dancing king himself. <laughs> and they're asking them if they rode on the horses. And Johanna is fucking digging in her nose. Oh, yeah. She's. Like, it's not a casual pick. Okay. It is a dig. And she's hitting both nostrils. You were impressed by her dig. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. It was deep. Let me tell you. <laughs> yep. 
Um, and her little buddy Jackson, he fucking calls her out. <laughs> he turns to her and goes, Hanny, Hanny, don't be picking your nose. And she's now she's fucking eating it. Yep. So On she, camera. It, it like escalates. Right there. It mm-hmm. escalates. She's digging both nostrils. Yep. Now she's eating it. The finger is migrated to the mouth. It's it's yep. it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps getting funnier though because Jackson repeats himself now. Don't be picking your nose, and he begins to like pat her on the back, mm-hmm. and then says, "Cough it up, cough it up, <laughs> cough it up," which is funny because what does that have to do with picking your nose? Yeah, it's not like phlegm. Yeah. Like, I feel like you cough up phlegm, but, like, once it's a fucking booger in your nose, like, you gotta <laughs> blow or pick that shit out, you know? I feel like this is the first episode I really remember hard talking heads with the younger kids, and I'm here for it. Yeah. So, he's hitting her on the back, telling her to cough it up, while, you know, just, like, continuing to, like, pat her on the back. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, <laughs> she just continues with her finger in the mouth all around yep, in the mouth she is there's no shame in her game <laughs> none at all no. and <laughs> then she starts hitting him on the back and he's like ow <laughs> so, she can throw down we like, saw her beat the shit out of him mm-hmm. in that one episode yeah. and now like so like he's patting her on the back kind of gently and then she's like beating him <laughs> it's it's that thing where you know that like it probably wasn't she wasn't like crazy but you could also, it's that thing where you can hear you, you the can hear flesh. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's that thing where it sounds a lot worse than it probably actually is, you know. Yep. So then Jackson asks what her horse's name was, and she kind of like whispers it to him in his ear. And apparently its name was Horsey. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good name. I'm pretty sure that was the, its name. Yep. Very good. <laughs> but Johanny. 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 You combined them. That just like popped out. Our girl Hanny. Johanny. Um, she's a little fucking sweetheart. She, so they show her like she had been on the little pony and like the little circle thing. And she gets helped off of the horse. And then she's standing there for like a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even like right away while it's happening. And then she just says, thank you. Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, you're welcome, honey. And it, it's just super sweet. Like, you no, can just Hanny. you can just tell. <laughs> you can just tell that she's just like a sweet little soul, you mm-hmm. know? So this counts as our girl, Hanny. Oh, f- for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a big fan. Do you know what you could say? Ready? I just thought of this right now, and I'm very impressed. Okay. You know what you could say? What? I'm a fan of Johanna. Fan of Johanna, very nice. That was not the direction I thought you were going to go. I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that one. I'm a fan of Johanna. A fan of Johanna. They, that should be a sticker. I love it. A uh, fan of Johanna. Katie. Katie's our artist that is working on designs for us for merch. Katie, fan of Johanna. Fan of Write Johanna. Write it down. Write it down. There is one moment that was funny that I hope you put into visuals for this. When Jennifer was like freaking out when when lego was trying to put her on that pony at one point he was like okay well i guess i guess we're not going to do this and the the last time he was trying to put her on she kept going bye bye <laughs> like she just kept screaming bye hoping that either the horse it would, would be go over away or she would be taking away and i think what's funny is that lego turns around with her 
and was like, well, I guess that's not happening. And when he leaves frame, the cameraman pans down to the pony and the pony gives the most delicious side eye I've ever seen. <laughs> I never, I didn't notice that. I remember the the scene, but I don't yeah. remember the pony side eye. It is the most delicious. I literally wrote that pony side eye. <laughs> well, I will be looking for that for visuals. Visuals, yep. There you go. We will have, uh, what was the other thing that I said for sure we'd have? And then I don't remember what it was. But I guess I'll have to look for pony side eye. Yep. But on the the topic of jennifer um you know she wasn't fucking having it bye mm-hmm. bye bye <laughs> but she rode a coin operated like you know like the little like ride thing, you know i don't know like that the, thing the, was can we talk about how gnarly violent, that thing was fucking violent it was yeah. throwing her around yeah it was not and when lego put her on there i'm like get her off of that dude thing. like the whiplash of it shake and baby syndrome over seriously, here seriously shake and bake it was like <laughs> violent yeah it was the most violent coin op like ride i've Insane. ever seen in my so life. i'm like she's terrified of the fucking real horse that was very gentle and then she's like being thrashed around and like her brain is being scrambled which she doesn't seem to mind though that's no what that's i know what i'm saying she's like oh a little mind a little brain scrambling no big whoop uh, calmest yeah. shit pony a problem <laughs> so it was uh. ironic to say the least now, I know this isn't parenting. I know it's not like he's having to take care of the kids. But do you feel like this is a boob parent moment? I don't. Because okay. I feel like he's just surrounded by other people and he lifted his child onto something. Okay. I'm just asking. Okay. You're ruining dreams over here, but okay. You're probably going to get a fucking bingo with that score, huh? Actually, no. Not even close. Hmm, hmm. I'm just stirring said hmm. pickle jar. Hmm. Okay, so um, the first three minutes were dedicated to John David and his PR team, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever. But this episode is quickly turning Hanny heavy. Yep. Our girl. I'm here for it. So now they're getting an actual train ride. So before it was like the tractor pull like thing Mm -hmm. or whatever. Now it's like a real train ride. And Baby Cannon sits with um, Johanna. And she's saying... You know, by the time we have grandbabies, we may fill up this train. And our girl, first of all, totally fucking unamused. (laughs) But then gives the most epic side eye ever. Did you catch it? I mean, on par with the pony or? Well, I don't know the pony, so I'm not sure. Did you check? Did you catch her side eye? I did. Yeah. Okay. So which is better, the pony or Johanna? Probably this one. Johanna's more endearing. She gives epic side. This is like the the episode of Side Eye. <laughs> and when Cannon is like, "What do you think, Hanny?" Mm-hmm. Johanna does that big over the top nod, where, where you're, you're like, just you're humoring. Yes, it's mm-hmm. like the if I agree in a big way, can you just shut She'll the fuck leave up? Me alone. Like, like she the whole thing like she is so Mm -hmm. unamused it's hilarious yep like she's just like oh lady which i feel we get this a lot from lego hair i feel like you see these moments a lot more with him because he's trying to fill the air with useless descriptions and things so i feel like the kids a lot of times like i i have a very specific memory of like 
Jackson doing the over-exaggerated nod just to be like, yep, dad, mm-hmm, you know. But do you know what it kind of feels like? It almost feels like when you're a little kid and you, like, okay, I wasn't close with any of my grandparents, so I can't really speak from this from a personal mm-hmm. standpoint. But just kind of like when you're little and maybe you don't appreciate your grandparents, this mm-hmm. is the way you might react to a grandparent. Yeah. But I'm like, it almost makes sense that that's how they react because it's like their mother's Jana and Jill. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Jessa. So they're like, here goes this old fucking lady <laughs> going on again. Just nod your head and act like it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that same vibe. <laughs> Okay, so now we have a talking head of Johanna, and she and Jackson are just kind of, like, messing around with each other, mm-hmm. and she kind of, like, throws him off the stool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yep. And they end up having to, like, go over and pick him up and, like, put, put him, him back, right on, back the on the it. stool. Yeah. So, I just love that this girl is just, yeah. like... She means what she says and does what she means. Yeah. And so, you know, like, she just goes for it like everything is like full throttle yeah like, they have a funny relationship they we're re- slowly seeing it like when she was socking him in the chest <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> yeah. yeah it's very they're, funny they're they're fun to watch as it goes forward they're the best my favorite sibling duo yeah so i feel clearly we love johanna that is mm-hmm. very Evident. clear We've talked about our dancing king, but mm-hmm. I feel like we can solidify this episode as the first time of really seeing the duo come together, which yeah. we will see now in the future going forward. Okay. But I feel like this moment, as I'm like, this is the first time we're like, yeah, it's these two, you know? Wow. So it's kind of exciting. So it's a moment, yeah. Yep. So as they're um, showing this fo- footage of Cannon on the train with Johanna, in the talking head, they ask Cannon, with all your ch- with all your children, is it important for you to give each one attention, like one-on-one time? She says, "We will make time and take time to spend one-on-one t- time with them. It is an effort we put forth. It doesn't just happen. We have to think about it. And I think opportunities like when you're riding on a little train." Or you're sitting helping someone with their schoolwork, just talking. The time to talk and let them talk. And it's that kind of quality time that we love and look forward to with our children. Two things. Is that the end of her quote? Yes. Two things. Does this count as Duggar explaining? Oh, I hadn't written that, but maybe we could. I wrote it on there because it, it, yeah. felt, it felt a little Duggar explainy. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll accept it. Unless it gets you a bingo, but I'll accept it <laughs> un- unless. And then it was just, I don't know if she was prepared for that question because it felt like she a wasn't. lot of word salad. No, she wasn't. But so before I actually break it down more, I actually just want to first say a few of the things that the kids say immediately following that. Mm. So Joseph says that they take time out of their day, even if they're busy. Josiah says that they get one-on-one time at a restaurant of their choice for their birthday. On their birthday, yeah. And then Joy says the same shit. (laughs) They take time Mm one-on-one. Nothing else. Yep. Now, I think they're... This is where, like, I I was really, like, stopping to think about it. I think that there are probably a ton of really wonderful parents out there who probably lay awake at night with guilt over this topic, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wondering if they've devoted enough time to their children, if their ch- children know 
like how much they love them and mm-hmm. that they have this individual relationship with them. Right. Probably beating themselves over it, over it every day, being like, yeah. did I do enough? Mm-hmm. First of all, I think if you're wondering that, you're you're doing a good job. <laughs> like, like that's the first sign. Because you were, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You give so here's, here's where I, you know, say you're doing a great job. To all those parents out there, you're doing a good job. Life is hard. It's busy. There's work and school and dinner mm-hmm. and sports and lunches and running a household and cleaning. And it's tough. And there's just never enough fucking time in a day. Mm-hmm. Just ever. So, like I said, I bet there's a lot of parents that are feeling guilt over that and hoping that they've done enough and that their kids know. Yeah. And I do agree with Michelle that there's, like, those small those small moments... Like, they matter. Mm-hmm. Some of those small things are some of the bigger takeaways, like, I had in my childhood. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a lot of that, but those are the things that stick out to me, so they mm-hmm. are, the like, the big points. Yeah. Those are, like, the glimmers, you know? Mm-hmm. So, she's not wrong that those small moments, one-on-one time, matter, but as always, like, she's just in a different league. Yeah. So even when she says things that you're like, yes, in theory, or yes, for the majority, and yes, that's something I believe in, she's just in this different league that, like, she just loses you at a certain point, you know? Mm -hmm. So the reason that today she could sit one-on-one with Johanna was because her older kids were managing all of her other kids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think a single Duggar child is getting... Like, for real, I really don't think a single Duggar kid is getting all their needs met, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible at that ratio of parent to child. Right, yeah. To meet all of their needs. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it's possible. Yeah. But let's not forget that any time that they are met in these small moments with these little pockets of time, it's thanks to their older daughters. Yeah, their older daughters are taking care of all of yeah, and I feel like you see people struggle with less, way less kids of the same things that you're talking about, worrying about whether they took enough time or if this was the most important or you know what I know I was exhausted, but I should have done blah blah blah, whatever it is. You know, yeah, I feel all like the things that with- parents. I just think to me, it's just this moment of thinking about all the parents who probably beat themselves up, who are trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And then there's these people that I feel like are being kind of reckless. Yeah. In a way. Mm-hmm. In like its own way. And probably don't even think twice about it. Yeah. And they probably, well, I mean, think about... Go ahead. Finish your story. I just think that they probably convince themselves that this this little moment right here is like good for how many months? Like, you know what I mean? Check. <laughs> like, I feel like it's like a check that box. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally feel like it's like, oh, well, we went out with their... Like, probably every... This like go out to dinner for their birthday or go out to a meal for their birthday. Mm-hmm. Is that checking a box where you think you're good for a year on one-on-one time? That's <laughs> right. what I wonder, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I have to do one-on-ones with all my all my sous chefs. And I have to make those... Uh, th- the joke I'm making is that I have to check those off a list every every financial period. Because I'm like, well, I got my one-on-one done with so-and-so. <laughs> like, does it feel like that? No, it does. <laughs> and so it's like, I, I almost feel like it's really sad to think that there are people who are trying so hard... And yeah. that like eats away at them. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it eats away at them. 
you know? Yeah. Like, I think they're just like, well, I saw them on their birthday. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, remember, I sat with Johanna on the train, but it's like, you're really not thinking about the bigger picture of all the emotional needs that you're not meeting. And maybe their sister is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just, I find the whole thing very sad. Yeah. It's like the one thing they have to gravitate towards is the where you went. Remember when we went skating on your birthday or remember like that's all they have. You know what I mean? Well, like my dad pulled that shit and I won't get into it right now. But like mm-hmm. I had very few of those moments with my dad, but he harped on them like and I'm like, so you're going to keep talking about the three things we did for the rest of my fucking life yeah. or the two things you know about me till I'm fucking 30 years old. <laughs> right, it's it's right. like that where I'm just like, no, 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 no. This it's doesn't get to be it. It doesn't get to be it. This isn't it. It should be way more than this. Yeah. It should be way more than just a birthday lunch. The birthday lunch should be something that's cool because it's an annual memory or something mm. like that. But that shouldn't be like, and if they were to argue with me right now, they'd be like, no, no, we work in other things. And it's like, you're not, you cannot convince me that times this many children you're working in quality time with all those kids. Yeah. You can't. I'm sorry. Well, I think one of them is important. One side of that kind of argument is important, and then the other side is justification. Because looking at it through the lens of your dad, like he's sticking to those things so he can pretend like he has good memories with you. And it's like, yeah, those things were fine. But what about the vast majority of all the other time where those needs where needs were not met? Well, like, com- like like that's his way of being like oh no i we we do have these good things that's justification well i'm a grown-ass adult and i was like in my late 20s when my dad sent me a christmas card, like a birthday or because my birthday's in in december mm. so it's hard to differentiate the two sometimes but in one of the cards that he sent to my mom's house to give to me because he didn't know where i was at the time mm-hmm. the perks of renting at those points in our life where he couldn't find me it was like you know, you were. I always enjoyed decorating for Christmas with you because you're the only one that enjoyed it. And I'm like, is that all you have with me? And looking back, that's all I had with him. Mm-hmm. I was kind of excited once a year when we went to Super Walmart and we'd go look to see if there was any one thing that we'd buy to add to. The, and it was like one item. It's not like we right. went like balls to the walls, like mm-hmm. supermarket sweep. But like, I'm like, that's all you had. That's the only yeah. thing you say. And I feel like if there was a bunch of memories and if that stuck out as like, a more substantial one mm-hmm. it would be different but the point is that's all he had yeah so i was like that's all you had with me yeah once a year mm-hmm. fuck that yeah the the comic relief on this is a nanny reference there's a point where cc and fran go eat sushi together and they don't hang out like they're not friends they don't they're like kind of like light rivals and they go eat sushi and CC's trying to like, there's a point where Fran accidentally eats the display sushi and it's like a rubber shrimp. (laughs) And then later on, CC's like, what do you mean? It's a minute minute later. Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? We go way back. Remember that time you ate the rubber shrimp? And it was like a minute ago. (laughs) Remember that time we ate the rubber shrimp? (laughs) (laughs) That's what that reminds me of. Like, that's all that they have. Yeah. So it's like my dad, my entire life was eating the rubber shrimp, (laughs) decorating for Christmas, 
And the fact that I loved I Love Lucy and I had a hamster at one point. <laughs> like, I was 30 years old when my dad was giving me a hamster card because yeah. he was like, remember that time we had a hamster? You know, and yeah. yes, I loved my fucking hamster named Gonzo. He was amazing. I should talk about Gonzo sometime. He was he was potty trained. He was amazing. <laughs> but um, yes, I loved fucking Gonzo. I loved him. But it's, yeah. it's the fact that you're like, let me glom onto, okay, Lucy the and her is... hamster and mm. Christmas. Yeah. It's like the few things he actually knew about you. Yep. Yeah. Any hoozle. So now the producers, they push it a little more and they say, speaking of one-on-one time, you're pregnant again now and you've just weaned Jordan onto solid foods. What's it like having children born so close together? And I got to say, I got really excited at first with the intro of that question. <laughs> Hoping that it was going to go into more of the direction of like how with all of these kids so close together, do you pull off this one on one time is where I was hoping it was going. Mm-hmm. But the question kind of lost steam or like snark steam <laughs> and they ended it open ended with the what's it like? And I'm like, oh, man, like you yeah. gave them an out. So I'm like, I felt like they started to go into it and then they were like, oh, abort, 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 you know, like <laughs> so that's kind of a bummer. So, Cannon just says that most women can't conceive while nursing, but that she can, <laughs> clearly. Um, and, quote, I think God delights in doing unique things with different people. So, so Jim Bob won't leave you alone is what you're saying. That's literally what I wrote down. Jim Bob won't leave you alone, and God delights in letting you... Uh... So, for her, like, she's saying, like, God delights in giving her this gift of getting knocked up even when she's breastfeeding. <laughs> It's like that's basically what she's saying. Yeah. For clarification, I did not write that. I actually wrote so Lego hair fires it up ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> so after lunch, they go on a hayride. Lots lots and lots of rides. Yeah. Um ride after ride of various types. <laughs> I don't have much to report on the hayride. No. Do you? Mm-mm. Okay, so they use this hayride to arrive at the petting zoo. And I cracked up. So as they arrive at the petting zoo, they're having to wash their hands. Um, And it's kind of funny because on the screen, because I had captions on. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you did. I did. But on the screen, it keeps saying it's Jana talking, telling the kids that they need to wash. And and then telling Johanna, no, you've already washed three times. She just wanted to play with the water. Yeah. And they keep putting it as Jana, but it is, to me, clearly Jessa talking. Okay. So, she and Jana, they have very different voices. Agree. And so, I will leave, I will leave space in case I'm wrong. I never like to be that, like, 100% like person. (laughs) But I think they have very distinct voices, and I heard Jessa, and... She's also the only one, if you notice, in frame. Like, so when they're showing it, the camera's zoomed in on the kids, so mm-hmm. people are cut out. But during this whole scene, the only one even around the hand-washing area is Jessa. Yeah. So I just kind of thought it was funny, because it's almost like even T- TLC is used to, like, Jana being the mom. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? No so kidding. it's like they hear a voice being like, oh, they're telling the kids what to do. It must be Jana. Oh, it must be Jana. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just kind of cracked me up, and I'm like... It's actually Jessa, but that's funny. (laughs) So then we get to see Boomer, Thumper, and Lucille, which are very cute little goats. Mm -hmm. And then the bunnies. 
And then there's like a big pig, which. Yep, yep. <laughs> He's a big pig. Yep, 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 yep. yep, yep. <laughs> he can be a big pig too. Hoi. Hoi. Yep. I'm glad you. I'm glad you picked oh, up what I was laying absolutely. down. Absolutely, <laughs> Lion King was like my kindergarten year. It w- between Pocahontas and Lion King, there was a lot going on in my kindergarten year, <laughs> kindergarten first grade. So, like I said, ironically, with this big pig, um, the only one that gets close to him is James. Yeah. If you remember, James was he's not harassing it this time. Yep. He's being respectful. Mm-hmm. If you remember back to the previous animal experience at the other place, James was like harassing that one yeah. pig. And he was the one that the, who is it, that producer said he used to do weird stuff with animals. Yeah. Yeah. But just funny. He likes the pigs and yeah. he's the only one that gets like real close. So the only thing I say is like there's obviously like he has the inclination to like go kind of mm-hmm. really in on animals. Yeah. Like, yeah. He tests those. Those boundaries. Boundaries a lot. <laughs> He was I will I'm he wasn't taunting this time, mm-hmm. but he definitely pushes it, you know. I did like the guy that was running the uh the petting zoo did have a whole spiel where he was like, you know, these are our goats, these are what their names are. They will headbutt you. Yeah. So it was that thing where he he was holding them back knowing that I think like, it was Boomer. That was the headbutter. I think the other two were okay, but I think he was like, Boomer will headbutt you. He will, yeah. Yep. So if you remember back to a few digs ago, um, you'll recall me saying how in Lego and Cannon's first year of marriage, they followed Dr. Ed because, you know, they're Ed heads. Mm-hmm. Weedy sweeties. Weedy sweeties. If you will. So they followed his advice of no TVs and no pets for their first full year of marriage. And then after the year, they got both cable TV and a rabbit. <laughs> but it was only like, what, two months, I think I said, when they got mm. rid of the TV. But they kept the rabbit. <laughs> well, we actually get a few more details on the rabbit. Mm. Apparently, the rabbit's name was Sable. And Cannon said that she looked like a Siamese cat because she was a Netherland dwarf rabbit. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. You got that dig information. Yep. Straight from the cannon's mouth. Straight. Um, I will say my boss at my last job, she had a rabbit named Sherman. Sherman. What a good rabbit and name. We we laughed because so I have Mildred. Mm-hmm. And in MASH, Colonel Potter Sherman his name T. is Sherman. Potter. He's Sherman Potter and his wife's name is Mildred. So yep. I was like, We have <laughs> Sherman and Mildred. Yeah. And she was at, she probably still is building like her own house. And when I say building her house, it's like tater top mansion style, like literally building oh, yeah. it herself, mm-hmm. like doing it herself. They had sold their house and were living like in a trailer on their land. And when it was getting too hot to be able to leave Sherman at home, like the very first day, she, so she started bringing Sherman into the office, which I fucking loved. <laughs> very first day that Sherman was there, she would bring him into the office and she was like blocking off an area around her mm-hmm. desk. Day one, he ate through a cord. <laughs> when she was supposed to be on like on like an all admin a meeting with like with the district and he ate through her cords and so she was like oh, i gotta fix it. it's like so she wanted to fix it so that she didn't have to call and put in like a request like you know like a, what a work do you call order it? a work order yeah and it'd be like why well my fucking rabbit ate through the cord so it's like we were trying to like fix it ourselves and like whatever mm. but it was funny because like she would go out for a couple hours and be doing stuff and so then i'd be back on my desk and i'd go in 
and I'd go check on him. So, because she just like put up little barriers so he would mm-hmm. stay, because she had like a big L-shaped desk. Mm-hmm. So, she just put up barriers so he couldn't go beyond that. And I would just like pop over and I'd lay on the floor and I'd go pet him and I'd be like, how you doing, Sherman? And then I'd go back to my <laughs> best thing ever. <laughs> I feel like if you have an office cat, office rabbit, it's great. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Mildred's Sherman was um, at my office. It's so funny. But, yeah, that's kind of it, really. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else? Not about the episode. I have a couple a couple adjacent materials. Real quick, um, we did get one last talking head, Jem. Oh, oh my God. I just realized that I wrote Jem with a J. <laughs> it has taken over my life. It's with a G, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I wrote it with a J. Oh, dear God, these Duggars <laughs> are coming for my brain. Yep. So we have this one little gem where Jackson lifts up his shirt to use it to wipe his nose. And he said, ew, there was running nose coming out of my nose. There was running nose coming out of my nose. Yep. Running nose. <laughs> um, oh, actually, and I see that I made a final note here that I did not place in the episode appropriately. Okay. I was going to write a general inappropriate attire. Okay. Square because the girls were wearing sandals and they're walking around this like a farm. Yes. <laughs> All right. Sandals on farm does constitute inappropriate, inappropriate attire. attire. You are correct. I should have inserted that somewhere else, but I think I realized it at the end and just like wrote it in my notes. <laughs> I have no big. Be- I have a. We have so many squares. Nine. I have nine. Wow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, I have nine squares. Mm-hmm. No bingo. I'm one away. If we would have had uh, Bayou save the difference, I would have gotten it. But you have nine? Well, I filled the free space. Yeah, so, so that's ten. ten. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. counting my free space. Yep. All right. Have you ever been to a petting zoo? No, except for one year when my sister, fucking money bags over here, um, <laughs> had a private petting zoo at my niece's birthday party. Mm. That was my only experience. I've never been to one. Okay. You? I went to one when I was when I was very little, not very little, but I remember being I'm gonna say probably seven or eight. We went the only time we've ever been to the San Diego Zoo, and I remember they had a little petting zoo in the back, and we went, and it was like a couple goats and like um, some deer, you know, animals that are like, you know, a little bit calmer. And it was like a bubble gum machine where you put a qu- two quarters in and you spin it and it gives you all the little like tube shaped feed. And, you know, so I remember we got some and I was all like, I was very excited to be at this petting zoo because I didn't have animals growing up for multiple reasons, but I always wanted one. Like my favorite movie as a child was Lady and the Tramp because I dreamed of having a dog. Which like, is so sad. So, um, I remember going to this petting zoo excited to pet animals. And because these animals, yes, are generally very docile, but they're also used to the fact that when people go to that machine, they get to eat. They like attacked us (laughs) for food. And I'm not saying they were like eating me or biting me, but they came over in... If you play fighting video games, they did the rushdown. They like <laughs> they came at us with a lot of mustard, and then I got scared. And like a cartoon, I was like scared, and I kind of turned towards my dad. And at one point, I literally like threw the feet in a direction and like booked in the opposite direction. You so were terrified. I had a very 
very uh, scary trip to the petting zoo. So, like, when we've been to the Wildlife World Zoo where you feed the giraffes, are you scared? No, I've uh, I've worked through my trauma, okay, uh, my eight year old trauma at the. I petting love zoo. feeding the giraffes because they put they just like, it's kind of. It's a little. It's weird. It's a lot. They they like unroll their tongue for you, mm-hmm. and they put their tongue out, and you can just like sprinkle. You kind of put you it could, like, on their tongue, it and on their they, tongue, like, and they like bring it. They it like back. They, in. Yeah, they like roll it back into their mouth, and I'm like, this is fucking cool. Yeah, it is really cool, and they have like they just have these like big, um, like plat covered platforms that you like walk up stairs, and then they have those little machines. So then and... you're like level with their head. You yeah, know? and <laughs> it's like so next tall. to their little like enclosure. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. If you do live in Arizona, Wildlife World Zoo is a lot of fun. You know, it's unfortunate though. What? I always loved it because of how close you got and all these things. I just very recently read things that were not great about them, and I'm very disappointed now. Oh, yeah, I know. I've sad. always struggled with zoos in general. Same. Like I've always been very conflicted about like, is this the right thing? Is this not the right? right? Are they are they really animals that couldn't make it? Blah blah blah. Yeah. Are you take? I've always been conflicted. Mm-hmm. But then there's that part of you that just loves to see an animal, and because mm-hmm. it just makes you so excited. And then I read some stuff, and I'm like, oh, God, Aww. can I never go there again? So it Yeah, just, that sucks. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So I'm working through it still. Well, uh, there's a good documentary on Disney Plus about the um, animal kingdom. Good, good stuff for her. So Good stuff for her. The last thing I had was just going back real quick about um, little moments with, with kids that are important like just little little bits of things i i don't feel like the one-on-one time or things that you do have to be anything super grandiose or it doesn't have to be like we have to make a big memory here like it can be very small scale things that will mean a lot and somebody posted a thing that was like i don't care how old you are if a little kid hands you a teacup you drink out of it. Yeah. If they hand you a fake phone, you, you answer talk. the phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my endearing moment, I think this was from a couple of years ago, but it was during NFL training camp when the fans can go. And it was with the Green Bay Packers. And there was this little girl that was in like a Green Bay Packers, like little kid, like cheerleader outfit. And she was standing along the, uh, the wall, like the little like fence when the players were on the other side walking to where they were going to practice. And that's where fans can stand there and get autographs and stuff. And she had brought a teacup with her. So every time the players would walk by, she would hand them a teacup. So it was funny to see these gigantic dudes in like pads and they're 320 pounds and they're walking by and they're all stopping and going and then giving it back to her. Like it was just funny. And it was that it was the power of that. Yeah. It's Kid like gives you, you a teacup, you drink you, you it. You drink it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, like, those little moments that, like, stick with you. They really are those little moments. So, it's, like, there's just a few things with my dad going to the fish store to pick out fish. And then, mm-hmm. like, the Christmas stuff. Or I think of my oldest sister, the one that I stayed with for that summer, mm-hmm. when she was dating my brother-in-law when they were teenagers. But I remember there was one specific day that they were just, like, here, we're going to take. And they, like, they took. And I thought in his truck. I thought his <laughs> truck was so cool. I remember playing out. In the front yard with my friends, and like the ball hit his truck, and I was like, "You hit his truck!" <laughs> like I just thought, like it was so cool. And I remember them taking me to the gas station. We didn't do anything special, and they bought me a pack of Skittles. But because <laughs> I was like 
with my teenage sister mm-hmm. and her boyfriend yep. going to get Skittles. <laughs> like, it's stuck with me for life. Oh, you yeah. Know? Or, like, the time that my sister took me. To, my mom would never let me play in the McDonald's Playland. Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> it's like, as, disgusting. <laughs> as an adult, I get it. As a kid, you just think your mom's, like, fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Like a fucking buzzkill. Mm-hmm. But I remember my sister letting me play in the balls, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's what it, it really is. Those small things, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So you guys get two digs this week. Earlier it was Johanna digging in her nose. (laughs) Now this. So now that we've gotten past the hour-long specials for a little bit, we're back to digging and finally able to pick back up on where we left off two weeks ago. (laughs) Pick back up on. Merp. (laughs) Dig back. I mean, it was no pick. I'm sorry. It wasn't a casual pick. Homegirl was deep. Digging. (laughs) If you remember back, I had intended for Barbie to just serve as the opener to the episode about toys because she'd been the inspiration behind the topic, but mm-hmm. she very quickly took over the entire episode. So now we're covering covering what I originally intended to be the main topic, which is the book Turmoil in the Toy Box. It's so dramatic. <laughs> Let's start with a little bit of background information. Turmoil in the Toy Box was first published in 1986 and written by Phil Phillips. There's no way his name is just Phil. His name is like Philip Phillips, right? Right? <laughs> Philip Phillips. Like I knew a guy that his last name was Hannah and he married a girl named Hannah. So her name was Hannah Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> just the- so you appreciated it because you said you were a fan of Hannah. <laughs> last. <laughs> but I feel like Phil Phillips is pretty on par with Hannah Hannah. How you doing? I'm John Johnson. <laughs> but the only thing is though, is like she married into that. She had no choice. That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like his parents were like, you're Philip Phillips. It'd be like if my last name was Whitney. Whitney Whitney? And then you would have been Whitney Whitney. It's very likely that that would happen, you know. And she doesn't have a middle name, so it literally would have been yeah, Whitney Whitney. Whitney, Whitney. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Philip Phillips, or Phil Phillips as he Phil goes by. Um, we talk more about him once we actually get into the book, but I just wanted to say that he has quite the glamour shot on the back of the book. Oh, really? JC Penney's really came in strong that day. <laughs> he's wearing a very 80s sweater and he's even doing the pose where you hold your chin and your like hold your chin between your thumb and pointer i'm doing it right now just like i'm doing it right now just like i you know i said i make the earlier i was like i make the face for emojis why do i feel the need to do everything so if you're looking for the emoji with that thing because there is one that yes there is one yes so but that's uh phil phillips on the back of this book copy that um remember the days of like sears having like a photo area out in the corner by like housewares see i never went to any of those like big store portrait like my parents never fucking we never got pictures yeah but i did go with my friends to to get pose pictures in the mall where we all had two of us were matching and i think like one was different but we all had like flame shirts on and we got the background (laughs) that was flame and then i remember feeling like a piece of shit because we were supposed to take a picture where we were like not like not smiling but again, me and my fucking face, my my other, my two friends just are like not beaming, okay? And then I'm like me, so I look p- 
pissed. And I remember my friend's mom like wouldn't shut up about it. And she made me feel like shit. Oh, that's shitty. And I was like, she was like, wow, what happened here? <laughs> and I was like, fuck off. So, yeah. Anyways, pose pictures. I'll po- Glamour I'll po- shots. I'll, uh, I'll post the pose pictures. Oh, very no JC nice. Penny, but it was flamey. That was a whole era, a whole though, of like era. the mall. The mall photo did. with oh, yeah. your friends. See, other people would go get like airbrush shirts with their friends for those. <laughs> we never did airbrush shirts. We just went to the wave and picked out flames. On a, on a, sorry, keeping this going for a tiny bit more. When you would walk through the mall and you would see like the the samples from that studio, whatever their like section of the mall was, I felt like it was always like the girls with crunchy curls. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, it was always like the ch- like three of the Chola girls that were like back to back like a buddy cop movie, you know. Yeah, and then there was like the heart background. See, mm. the reason people got the airbrushed shirts is because the backgrounds look sort of airbrushed. <laughs> so it was like a whole aesthetic. But we just shopped at the wave. There was there was like frosted uh like Vaseline like lens. on the lens. Yeah, Vaseline. Yeah, you know. yeah. yeah, it's pretty much the look. So okay, so Phil Phillips, it's it's not Poe's pictures, but it's definitely like J.C. Penny, Sears, that vibe. It's a whole fucking look, um, <laughs> but he is glamorous in his own way. So now I want to read you a couple things from the covers, just so you get a vibe of what we're working with here. On the back, it reads, a shocking expose. Ooh. I told you, they love the fucking expose. Remember the Barbie things where it was like, thank you for this expose. <laughs> Thank you for exposing the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a shocking expose of the toy and cartoon industry. It reveals the hidden dangers found in He-Man and Masters of the Universe, Barbie, Rainbow Bright, G.I. Joe, Smurfs, Dungeons and Dragons, Care Bears, Thundercats, I mean, E.T., Cabbage Patch Dolls, to name a few. I mean, they name it all in the back of the book. I'm like, we get it. Yeah. Um, this book unmasks the new age, occult, violent, and satanic influences that have invaded the once innocent toy box the drama (laughs) the i feel like every time we talk about these things it reminds me of the church lady from snl because everything was like hmm Hmm. could it be satan (laughs) like that's how this feels yep isn't that special isn't that special my mom always said that and i was a kid and i didn't know where it came from and then i got older and i was like oh but she'd always be like isn't that special (laughs) It also had a ringing endorsement on the back cover from Martin Maddox, founder and host of Point of Point of View, a leading Christian talk show, like radio, like, you know, talk okay. show. He was even included in the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Wow. Who knew such a thing existed? But, you, you know. The NRBHOF? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> duh. Well, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that just means that this endorsement is, like, fucking big, right? I mean, if oh, he's yeah. a Hall of Famer, this is big. <laughs> he's stacking them stacking them ships over here. <laughs> Phil Phillips is, you know. So he said, Phil Phillips has done a great service to America as a whole and to a Christian fam- the Christian family in particular okay. for exposing the occult connection in the toys being marketed to unsuspecting children. Every parent should be aware of the potential for mental and spiritual harm from allowing their children access to such toys. Thanks to this book, we can be armed with the truth about the toy industry. Damn. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Marty. Marty Maddox. (laughs) So he's... um, Okay, so and oh, this next one, it just it made me chuckle. So I just had to throw it in on the front cover, bottom right corner. 
there's like a little like <laughs> a little like almost like ribbon type thing like in the bottom mm. that says over 100,000 in print. Oh. Which I think is a funny claim to make because um uh, it's they say print not sold. Right. Like you, they... you can print as many as you fucking want. <laughs> like cool. Uh, yeah. You spend a lot of money in printing that has right. nothing to do with sales. <laughs> so, that's a that's quite the claim oh, to like be goodness. super proud of. We printed a lot. We printed it, yeah. But funny jokes about print versus sold aside, it did sell and became a fixture in Christian bookstores, was worked into church sermons, and had a huge impact on children of the 80s, 90s, and beyond. I sound like Mix 96.9 over here. Yeah, you do. You were totally a radio station. 80s, 90s, and today. What am I, getting my hair cut at Supercuts over here? <laughs> Listening to Mix 96.9. Easy listening. Yeah. The 80s, 90s, and today. My favorite was when I would, my parents took me to Supercuts to get my haircuts haircuts as a kid. And that whatever, it was Mix 96.9, the radio station. And they were trying to be cheeky. So they'd always be like, it's the hits of the 80s, 90s, or whatever. Or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. That's like the cooler way of, they're like, whatever we want. Um, So the reason that, I read that endorsement from, you know, Marty Maddox, Hall of Famer. Good old Marty Mads. um, Was also to paint the picture of just another way that this book had so much reach. Okay. Larger Christian outlets, like his radio show, for example, were chomping to shill something like this Mm. as a must read for all the parents. Oh, yeah. So while this book might not directly relate to the Duggars and IBLP, I thought it was worth discussing because it's really indicative of the temperature of society at this point in time. Mm. The book was released in 1986, right in the heart of the satanic panic. And at a time when there was this huge rise in like fundamentalism and evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. It's also right smack in the middle between when Lego and Cannon got married in 84, Mm -hmm. then had Pest in 88. Which we know also coincides with the time that they were, you know, like first being introduced to aspects of IBLP via financial seminars and homeschooling, things like that. Right. But even before that, they were very active in their strict Baptist church before even getting into IBLP. Um, So and Baptist churches were messages like this were quite popular. Mm hmm. In fact, I buy all my books secondhand, and my copy of this book actually has a little sticker placard inside saying that's it's the property of a Baptist church. Oh, does it really? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's pretty funny. All of this is just to say that it's very just. It gives you the idea of the time. Really good glimpse into it. Mm-hmm. So whether this book was just an early stop on someone's journey to like full blown fundamentalism, or you were just more mainstream evangelical Mm -hmm. either way this book was just very of the time yeah can i make a comment on like the time that this came out yeah so i read tim was born by the way (laughs) the like i was born in the mid 80s i was born in 86 so it was a time period where like the late 70s early 80s is where our the 1900s had a lot of technological breakthroughs but, like, in the late 70s, they started getting, like, supercharged. Yes. So, you have this really weird chunk of generations where, like, I read a thing that my generation is the bridge generation because we remember a time pre a lot of really crazy technology 
but then we also had it as a fundamental part of us growing up. Yeah, I'm part. So, of, I think it like it, it includes because we're three years apart. I'm mm-hmm. yeah, we're I'm in that too. Yeah, yeah, where it's like you remember these life before, these times, but it's still a huge part of your life. Yeah, and it's like we t- always talk about the things that we had in the '90s and like the advent of the internet and kind of all of the stuff leading up to now. So I think it kind of showcases why these books were written and why. You know, you had a generation that spent the majority of their youth and their young adulthood with nothing, like technology-wise, with like a lot of that. And then when they hit that point, it all expanded. It's scary. Yeah, exactly. It's it's. I think every generation has that. Like, I'm scared of the technology that's coming now. Now that I'm a little bit older, just the changes in society. Society. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just it was rocket fueled Mm -hmm. to get past. You know. Yep. So, um, and the funny thing is, like when I was saying, may not apply to the Duggars. The funny part is that in IBLP, they probably feel above this book because they're like, we're not, lo- we're not playing with these things anyway. So this would be more like a, this is what you'd give to someone as like a first step. Like you know what I mean? Like I think they think they're above this shit, where they're just yeah. like, we got rid of that shit a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So let's get into it. Um, In the intro page of the book, he says, Let me assure you that Turmoil in the Toy Box is the most thoroughly researched and balanced expose available today. I mean, if the author says so, I mean, you believe. He's a Hall of Famer. (laughs) No, no, no. The Hall of Famer. Oh, was Marty Was Marty. Oh, okay. I thought Phil Phillips was no, the no, Hall of no, Famer. No, 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 no. Marty, I was saying that that guy that has a Christian was radio show was endorsing okay. it. Copy that. Now, okay. we have the author saying that it's the mo- it's the best you got out there. Well, yeah. I mean, if he says so. That means must- don't refute anything I say in this book. <laughs> must be true. <laughs> then chapter one opens up right away with a good old analogy. Here we go. We know they love their analogies. Not, like I've said, not that they don't have their time and place, not that I never use them, but they are very dependent on them in this yeah. realm. Mm-hmm. Phil recounts an experience he had as a three-and-a-half-year-old child. His father was a pastor-turned-traveling evangelist, so the entire family, including the dog, traveled the country <laughs> in an Airstream trailer. Oh. On this particular day, they had stopped at a rest stop somewhere between New Mexico and Arizona, And Phil was eager to show off his running skills to his dad. So he started backing up like you do, you know, when you're giving yourself a good running start. You think you keep backing up more. So he kept Mm -hmm. taking steps back, thinking it would give him a better Mm -hmm. start. When suddenly he heard his dad yell, look out for the hole. But it was too late. Phil fell straight into a giant hole of sewage that he described as having green slime in it. His parents spent the next three hours trying to clean him off with the trailer hose. Here's where the analogy comes in. He thinks of this experience he had as a child as being comparable to the plight of Christians. They want to please God, but are unaware of the pits that surround them in life. These pits, he says, contain spiritual sewage. Oh. And, uh, I mean, but, but here's my thing. I mean, if you can get it off in three hours, is it really that big of a deal? <laughs> like, you know, it was like what I was thinking. And then he knew that Smarky, like, Smarky, I'm going to use it. Smarky. Yeah. I was going to say like smart ass, snarky people like me exist, but it's, smarky. Yeah, it's the combo. Smarky mm. people like me exist. So he covers that a couple paragraphs down the way. Okay. So he says that it's much harder to clean sewage from the mind than to clean sewage from the body. Oh, it's so deep. Yes. 
He says that some Christians knowingly dangle their feet in the sewage, some fall and some dive in, but those that fall are generally unaware that the pit is even there, like he was as a child. Okay. According to him, toys and cartoons are one of the biggest pits that children are falling into because both the children and their parents are unaware are unaware of the dangers. So what even brought Phil to this place? Don't you mean fell? More Mer- like fell Phillips, am I right? <laughs> am I right? Back in October of 1983, while Phil himself was now working in travel ministry, just like his father. Okay. He walked into a Florida toy store. Sounds like the beginning of a story. And for the first, like for the very first time in many years, he hadn't been in a store, a toy okay. store. And he was immediately taken aback by the sight of a Skeletor toy. What made him clutch his prairie bib, <laughs> or I guess in his case specifically, it's the collared shirt underneath his 80s sweater. <laughs> so what made him clutch was Skeletor's staff that had a ram's head on it, which he said he immediately recognized as an occult symbol. So he bought it. As one does when you're shocked, appalled, and horrified. You know, that's what you, you know. You vote with your money. This is terrible. Take my money. Makes (laughs) sense, right? When he got home with the toy, he read the little comic that came with it and thought to himself, how could any sane person sell this to a child? It was loaded, absolutely loaded with the occult from beginning to end. Ooh, I'm ready. At church that night, he brought up what he'd come across earlier in the day, and he found out that many of the parents in the in the congregation had this exact toy for their children. And to himself, he thought, I can't believe it. Children from this Bible-believing church have occult toys in their homes. If this is the case, then those toys must be in the homes of Christians everywhere. The clip from our intro went through my head. Does anybody here believe it? (laughs) For being shocked and appalled, though, he ended up tossing Skeletor in his back seat of his car and forgetting about it. So I guess it didn't make that big of an impression. Damn. He just let that thing in the back of his... Yeah. You know, he's appalled. He buys it. He's appalled. Forgets about it. You know, it, it all tracks, right? Real shocking. Yeah. Um... So that is until, so he kind of forgets about it until we fast forward a few states later in his travels. Now he was heading home to Dallas from Louisiana when the Lord, just while he was driving one day, the Lord says to him, Phil, do you know what happens when children play with the toy? He thought it was strange that God was speaking to him about toys. And so he tells God, no, I don't know what happens. So God fills him in. Good thing. And says, Phil, children project themselves with their imagination into a toy. They give it life, character, abilities, and talents, and set the surroundings around it. This is how they learn. God is chatty. (laughs) Through toys like the one you have in the backseat of your car, Satan is gaining control of the minds of millions of children everywhere. I want you to do something about it. Wow. God is very clear. Chatty, clear. He doesn't have to flip a coin. He didn't have to fucking flip a coin. (laughs) Real Gabby God up here. (laughs) So Phil spends the next five months studying toys and cartoons and then traveled the country yet again, presenting 
a slide presentation that he called Deception of a Generation that he had created. He wasn't just toying around with this stuff. Oh, she did it. This was the new direction of his ministry. Okay. His family grew concerned because this new ministry was costing him way more money than he was getting from supporters. He was living off money from selling his car, loans from his brother. Bill Gothard would not approve. And (laughs) overall, just like any little savings that he had. Okay. But he believed God made the ministry possible by placing people in his life to assist in the ministry. First, a man bought the equipment needed to create that slideshow because um, he bought it at this other. So this guy bought it it out of his own pocket because Mm -hmm. he had access to getting the stuff wholesale. And then he let Phil pay him in like installments when he had money. So he was actually paying. It wasn't like Gil Bates with everything. Yes. Where people just gave him Mm -hmm. stuff. Then a photographer friend of his volunteered to take photos of the toys for free. But of course, this also meant that he had to deal with Satan himself trying to foil the launch of his ministry. Wow. Phil said, quote, unusual things happened during the time he was setting up to shoot the photographs for me, like blown fuses and problems with camera equipment, things that never happened before. I'm 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 not convinced that a photographer has never experienced a blown fuse back in the day. Of course. Or had equipment issues. Right. I'm not convinced. But if we can put those on Satan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be. It, I mean, must be Satan. There's no other explanation. Yeah. Satan was there trying to foil the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So then he would have been foiled Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yep. At first, he says that not many took him seriously, that, that they thought this ministry idea was kind of a joke, but eventually it picked up and he gained support, which I can see going both ways. I can see that maybe some people were like, you're, you're fucking, you're, you're focused on toys, but also we know that they love like the opposition mm-hmm. for like yeah. their story arc. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's probably like played up for like the, see yeah. what I overcame to get the message <laughs> to the people, you know? So if you remember back how in the Barbie episode, I said that I think that the real issue that those fucking uppity moms and that wackadoodle lady, um, I felt like the real issue they had was imagination. Yeah. To me, that seemed like the real enemy, but they were placing blame on Barbie on that particular day. But basically take your pick of thing to blame. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, you know, Chadwick's catalogs. (laughs) But it's really anything that serves as an aid to imagination was my opinion that i took Mm -hmm. away from that well uh phil he touches on just that and he says quote although imagination is a gift of god it can be influenced and perverted by outside sources like whorish deep breathing burpees well Um, yeah and then while he does acknowledge that there are some influences on imagination that can be healthy and good such as books and TV shows that introduce you to people you've met, you are you've never met. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and places that you've never been before, um, which I feel like that's kind of like a liberal view compared to IBLP. <laughs> he says that parents don't realize that many toys look cute and innocent, but are filling children's minds with images of sex, violence, and fear. He calls this subtle deception. That is formed layer upon layer until all these evil and corrupt images are real to the child. 
So basically, he thinks that there is a right way and a wrong way to play pretend. The good way is when a child plays house, for example. Pretending to be adults with an authority over their children, which might be their dolls or their stuffed animals. But because, quote, it lets the child rehearse for a role that will later be his. So imagination is okay as long as it's centered around these pre-approved roles that we've laid out for you that we expect you to conform to down the Mm -hmm. road. So go ahead, pretend being a mommy because that's your lot That's in life. what you're going to do, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But funny, when you're a dog girl, there's no need to pretend. <laughs> like, you, you don't have to play house or mommy because you're going to be fucking doing it by the age of five. I've so it's lived like, it. Yeah, <laughs> these girls are like, I have the real thing. <laughs> so centering your imagination uh, or imaginative play around the role that you want they want you to have in life is the good way to do it. The bad way is to fantasize. Okay. And it's no surprise that he throws in a subtle reference to the satanic panic. So like, you know, it's a little bit more subtle because he doesn't come outright and say direct thing, but here's what he says. There have been many documented accounts of children and adults killing themselves or others as a result of their undisciplined imagination and fantasy playing. Absolutely. I take this as a reference to the whole Dungeons and Dragons aspect of the Satanic Panic. Mm, yeah. It's. Anyway. He's like, he doesn't come out and say it, but that's exactly what he's referring to. Right. Because the worst thing you can do is role play. Yep. You know. Phil also said Satan or Santa, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Satan stimulates one's mind to focus on vain and carnal fantasies. Sounds good. Um, Imaginative play that is not focused on exploring the real world, but on exploring the mystical world is called vain imagination. When involved in vain imaginative play, children often exalt themselves above God. By pretending to be characters which they believe to be more powerful than Jesus. Well, you'll kind of see later on how he uses this as an argument. Okay. He says parents should set the tone for healthy, imaginative play by providing toys which are not linked to preset ideas. But I would argue that playing house and providing baby dolls... Even more specifically, you know, that playing these traditional roles mm-hmm. that he, he gave as an example of okayed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's a role that they'll have in the future. I'd argue that's a preset idea. I agree. Because that, that's what you're, like you said, that's your lot in life. So um, you, you don't want to provide things that have preset ideas. Well, what the fuck are you doing with a baby doll? <laughs> You know, like if if you're going to go there, like I don't personally have a problem giving a baby a baby doll and thinking that they can decide later in life that they don't want to be a mother. Like, I don't care. Give a fuck either way. But I'm just like, if that's your argument, couldn't you say that there's a lot of things that come with preset ideas attached to it? Oh, yeah. Like, if you're going to make that argument, then let's make that argument. You know, I feel like that's parents that like give their kids a specific like type of ball. Like a soccer ball, because they're like, my kid's going to be into soccer when they get older. Like, that's how that feels. Yeah. And then when the kid's like, I don't want to play soccer, I want to 
do play Foursquare like me. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I I really want to play American Four football, square. and they're like, no, your pre- your predestined sport was soccer. Damn it. <laughs> But he continues with, quote, the child should give the toy life from his own experience rather than imitating a cartoon character. So here's where he finally gets down to the root of what he really opposes. It's characters. That's what he takes issues with. Okay. So this brings us to another one of his biggest gripes, the crossover between TV and like TV shows and toys. Okay. Absolutely true that in the 70s and 80s, there was an influx of cartoons that were then turned into toys. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if, I rem- if I think I remembered correctly, um, seeing this somewhere in my random research I didn't write down, I think He-Man was the first thing that came out that it was simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't one thing first, and then it was, but at the same time, they were like, here you go. But mm-hmm. it's absolutely a fact. It came with the territory because of the growth of media. Mm-hmm. So toy sections were no longer just like, Balls, Here's blocks, and baby dolls. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like now there were things that correlate with other forms of media. If you've ever seen the movie Spaceballs, they talk about merchandising, merchandising, <laughs> like how they can merchandise everything from that movie. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. and you can have your feelings about it or like whatever, mm-hmm. and it's and he's right that that did happen, mm-hmm. but it's it's where it all goes. That's yeah. What's interesting? The random example I'll give you is like the Ninja Turtles. The Ninja Turtles were a... I'm a comic book collector. I don't know if I've mentioned that in a while. Um, the Ninja Turtles were a comic book by Eastman and Laird. It was these two guys. And it was kind of dark. Like, there was a lot of kind of, like, more mature... The pizza was burnt? <laughs> Very nice. Um, but it was, like, in black and white. And it wasn't what I think we think of as the Ninja Turtles now. And the big thing pizza. was they... they get, <laughs> shell shock all of the different things started going through my head see it worked on me turtle time um but they got bought out by i think it was playmates was the company and the the playmates company bought the rights to merchandise it and then that's when the cartoon got big and that's when all the all the action figures started becoming a thing it was completely different than what the original idea was Mm mm-hmm because these companies were like, kids are going to love this. Transformers and, was the same. Well, the and, 80s was the time that didn't the regulations go away about um, yeah. marketing for children. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this turns into, this does turn into a, a much bigger dis- discussion. Mm-hmm. Where And there are aspects of that that I agree with. Yeah. Like, you know, or mm-hmm. like whatever, where I, like how much do we need, like. You shouldn't be pushing certain so things towards much, like children. The, it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of it. So, I'm not saying that I disagree with absolutely all of it. And he doesn't even go into that. This is me bringing it up. He right. doesn't even talk about that aspect so much. But, so, I'm not saying that there's not conversations to be had or feelings that come up with these things. But, again, it's the drama that unfolds yeah. from of all course, of it. Of course, yeah. Fitting it into his narrative. Yes, exactly. So, like I said, it, it's. Um, his gripe is about, you know, this TV, um, and, you know, influx of TV and toys Mm -hmm. and that things aren't just, you know, these simple toys anymore. Yeah. It's, it's inherently a problem in his view because he says, quote, when a child watches a cartoon and then plays with the toy connected to that cartoon, he is no longer projecting himself into that toy. Instead, cartoons have programmed the child to play with toys in a certain way. He has been told what the character 
what character the action figure has, as well as the figure's abilities, personality, and talents. The cartoons even have set the surrounding for the character. Through the influence of television, the child knows all these pieces of information about the toy when he picks it up. So, put more simply, I interpret that as he wants toys to be neutral. Mm -hmm. And if they're based off of a show, they can't be neutral. And and to him, that's the problem. Okay. But also, I sort of feel like this is kind of besides the point, at least from his original point, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, We know that he started all this because of his discovery of toys being of the occult, you know, or whatever. And sarcasm. Um, and I feel like he just sort of worked it. I don't know. It just feels to me like then he worked backwards to oh, try yeah. to tack on more stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's not just about these supposed occult toys, but now like any toy based on a pre-existing character, it's problematic. Right. But it, it just feels very forced. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just going to keep finding things that are wrong. Oh yeah. Now let's talk about his classification of toys. He says that all toys fall into one of three categories, occult, amoral, or Christian. Occult toys teach witchcraft, violence, sex, and humanism. Amoral toys don't teach morality and are neither good or bad and include dolls, trucks, cars, educational things that might be about numbers and ABCs. But, like, just a minute ago, when I said that I interpreted what he said as, like, neutral toys. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that what I thought, because, you know, I'm doing this kind of, like, an order. And I'm like, oh, no, I think that was, I think that was kind of an accurate interpretation that I have. Mm-hmm. But then just to later realize that he attaches it to morality in this neutral space, mm-hmm. but attached to morality. So, like, neutral, but, like, make it dramatic. <laughs> you know what i mean (laughs) i mean is it just me like to say a toy like to say amoral to describe a toy feels very dramatic and over the top to me Mm -hmm. like like i feel like you can say like you talked about marketing to children i feel like you can say that there's tactics in that system that are very manipulative because they are like that's the whole point like i want you market things to children because they will they will pressure their parents to buy them for them Mm -hmm. it's it's capitalism yeah you market to kids because the kids will bother their parents enough okay fine of course and i've brought it up before with like movies the reason why family and kid movies way outsell anything that's rated r is because those kids most of the time can't go to that movie by themselves. Yeah, so th- so their parents have to take them, which means you're instantly selling two tickets for one person. Exactly. Like so, it's capitalism. It's the same thing with this. Mm-hmm. You market to those kids. But to just describe toys as amoral, so like, like amoral, like if you like look it up, it basically says like, not without having concern for morality, mm-hmm. right? Which is a way of saying neutral, but mm-hmm. when you say not having a concern for... It's like, oh, here... So, it's like, I feel like he's saying, well, this toy, it has no concern right. for morality. With Like, sir, you're, this is a fucking 
Tonka truck. Like it's right. it's not that serious. But you're like, not allowed to play with it unless you're going to be a construction worker. Just, if you're not and that's not your predestined role, you better not play with it. Nope. I sorry to interject real quick. I really want to know how he felt about Veggie Tail toys. Because Veggie Tales was obviously very Christian, but was also marketed to shit. Like there was so many Veggie Tales things. Well, that's his third category. Ooh, the third category. I already said it earlier. Did yeah. you not hear it? The third category is Christian toys, which is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Straight is all they allow, after all. Um, <laughs> they're toys that teach Christian principles and instill moral values in a child. Okay. But so I feel like. But even then, I'm sure that they'll still find like you still hear Christians have problems with veggie tales, and you still there's right. there's always a problem with something. So it's like, of course, it's I never know. pure enough. <laughs> I just before you move on, I just want to know like, and this is a rhetorical question. I don't expect it to spark a debate, but I really would like to know if there's a toy or a a show or whatever it is that's neutral, but doesn't pronounce itself as being christian do they still have a problem with it it goes back to what we were talking about with you know cars and kind of these things where it's like they didn't state what their beliefs are well they didn't because it's 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 a toy yeah (laughs) barbie is not good but but the same way i said that they would be pissed that bar if barbie there was a barbie bible they'd be like our the word of god is not a is not a toy you could you can't fucking win with them yeah because when you know um Barbie and her unfunctional tits that are only for appearance. If you put nipples on a Barbie, they'd have a fucking conniption. Oh, yeah. It would be over. So it's like you can't fucking win. Yeah. All I know is G.I. Joe always had dog tags, never had like a jeweled cross on that necklace. That's Well, they have problems with G.I. Joe. He talks about it in this book. There's (laughs) issues. Everything's a problem. It's always something. So now let's get to where he breaks down specific toys. He says a lot of parents prohibit outright occult toys for their children, and they feel safe because of that, but that they're still subjecting their children to mind corruption in more quiet ways, Oh, leaving the children's parents wondering, how did this happen? He again references how it's not necessarily the toy itself, but the cartoons, television shows, and movies associated with the toy that are more of the problem. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because a fucking toy is literally like plastic and stuffing and like, yeah, it's not mm-hmm. really an issue because it's fucking plastic and stuffing. <laughs> like, you know, um, Phil says that he's often asked why so many toys today are based on occult symbolism. Why? And, you know, they're all asking him because he's the expert. <laughs> well, he's got quite the answer to that question. Quote, to answer this, we must first consider the people who are creating toys and cartoons today. They are far different from the creators of toys and cartoons of yesteryear. Oh. Many of these writers and creators came out of the 60s generation in the drug era, during which they were involved in Eastern religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism. Some still are involved in these practices. Many live in Hollywood. There it is. There it is. He was burying the lead a little bit, but there it is. Don't misunderstand. I am not saying Hollywood is a bad place. He puts sounds like it. He puts bad place in quotes, by the way. Quotations. But the very nature of Hollywood leads to hedonistic ways of living. 
which often includes meditation, in quotes, drugs, and Eastern religious influences. In line with their lifestyles, most of these cartoon writers and toy designers are not church-going people. Therefore, they are not in tune with their creator. I made a very special note of that when I was reading the book because I was like, this just fucking screams the period of time. Like you were saying earlier, Mm -hmm. it screams that period of time. The extremism and push towards fundamentalism was a direct response to the shifts in culture and society Mm -hmm. of the 60s and 70s. It's fucking scared the shit out of them. They're like, oh, people making people breaking away from these traditional ideas, traditional Mm -hmm. roles, like different religion, you know, Mm -hmm. like all those Eastern religion. I bet they even fucking breathe deeply too. (laughs) Ick. uh, Something, right? I just think this is the example of like changing times, change is scary, which is true. Change is scary. On a lot of different levels and in a lot of different arenas. But this is just this taking it to a far level. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember... I, I What I've been thinking about during all of this has been, like, the parental advisory stickers on CDs. And it was that, like, rash of, like, very conservative Congress Yeah, when they had people. all those hearings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and... Yeah, twisted and it was, sister. Like, wasn't Dee Snyder like big into it? And like, what? Yeah, or it's like um, George H. W. Bush talked about how like um, the quote was something along the lines of like the family should be more like the like the something not like the Simpsons. Like he called out the Simpsons because it was destroying the fabric of America, <laughs> and it's like it wasn't. And also, just don't fucking watch it if you have a problem with it. That's my thing that I come down to with a lot of things lately. You got a problem (laughs) with it? It's a whole thing. Tim knows. We won't go into it. But it's like, you got a fucking problem? Don't consume it. Don't consume it. it. Yeah. And not going into specifics, but like the thing that I told Whitney was like, you vote of confidence, not vote like politically, but like you vote in support of something with your wallet. But this is why, which is funny that he went and bought these toys that he exactly, exactly. <laughs> that he's so against. I'm appalled. Take my money. Take my money. Yeah. And my my thing is, I have companies that I choose not to support with my money because I don't agree with the things that they do, or the people at the top of these organizations do, or the way they use that money. I have those things, and it's okay. I'm not going out and being like, you guys need to not support blah. That's a personal choice. I am choosing not to consume these things for those reasons. So that's, that's, let me step off of my soapbox here. Which soap? Tide? Is it the Tide? Uh, the, the Tide box? Don't even get me fucking started on Tide and their pro ocean name. That's a joke. I'm not anti-ocean. but <laughs> <laughs> You just got to be anti-something. <laughs> so back to how he said children are subjected to corruption in quiet ways. Well, he says a lot of times this is done via the cute and innocent. Oh. And I think this section of the book is much more interesting to me because it involves like the most reaching, like really reaching. Okay. Oh, like, at least with some of the others, like, the toys can be scarier looking. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the Skeletor thing, but I'm like, at least in that you can be like, okay, he's got a fucking, ske- like, he looks like a skeleton and he's got, like, you know what? I- like, 
But like the cute and innocent stuff, I'm like, you're really having to like dig deep. You can't even be like, it might scare the children. It's just. I mean, the worst part about Care Bears is that they fucking cared. I whoa, dude, wait till we get to Care Bears. <laughs> just you, dude. Care a lot. We care a lot. Don't even get me started on Lionheart. Mm. <laughs> mm. We'll be there. Forest of feelings. Care a lot. And Earth. <laughs> oh, that's a jam. Any hoozle. So, like I said, I find this to be more interesting because I just feel like it's far more reaching is done. The, the spin, it's just, it's fascinating oh god i'm so ready right now so let's get into it starting with cabbage patch dolls it's actually interesting because he does not jump to the whole their demons view the same way okay. bill gothard does little billy g in fact at the end of the cabbage patch doll section he specifically states i am not saying these dolls are a cult his issue with them is actually quite different. Oh, my God. He doesn't like cabbage. <laughs> yeah. He's like, the worst part he is aver- cabbage is aver- disgusting. He has an aversion to cabbage. <laughs> so, while he promotes dolls as being generally good, because, you know, roles in life, mother, you know. Of course. He repeatedly states that cabbage patch dolls, that their realities are often extended too far. That children view them as actually being real, saying, quote, I want to emphasize that many of the children who play with these dolls are just four and five years old. They are not many adults. Parents should not rush their children into becoming older than they are than they really are. Fucking talk to the fucking IBLP parents. <laughs> talk at your preacher to the wrong people here. Not the parents that have their let their kids have cabbage patch dolls. Right. It's the ones who are fucking letting their kids sister mom. Parentalizing yeah. their children. Yeah. Uh, he says because of the pre-programming of these dolls, children believe that the dolls are real babies. Children are forced to take on more responsibilities than they can handle at such a young age. IBLP. IBLP. I know. It's like your problem is the fucking cabbage patch doll? (laughs) He said you will notice little children in shopping malls carrying dolls. Another thing at the time. Malls. Remember when people went to malls? (laughs) Um, Most of these dolls, he says, are cabbage patch dolls, not ordinary baby dolls. Is he checking every fucking little... Is he like checking? I imagine him with like... Like cop sunglasses waiting at the entrance to the mall being like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Like like they're checking your purse when you're yeah. getting into a sporting event. They're like, let me see that bag. <laughs> and they have like this, the ruler so they're yeah. not touching any of your stuff. Yeah, but he's like, so regular baby doll, cabbage patch doll, okay, you can go. Um, but yeah, so he says that they're usually cabbage patch dolls, not ordinary baby dolls. He says, is it that children play only cabbage patch kids and not? ordinary baby dolls like is that what it is ordinary baby dolls he says do not come with the same incentives to treat them like real babies so this pre-programming and these incentives he's referring to include the birth certificate and adoption papers that come with the dolls but he also references children receiving death certificates for their dolls which is entirely fucking untrue. I was going to say, what doll came with the, What goth-ass doll came with the death certificate? It's an urban legend that is totally made up that, like, if you have, like, a doll that 
is defective or there's something wrong with it like when you send it in to be repaired then they like send you a death certificate it is entirely made up and so i guess that five months of research and about you know he's an expert on this big expose right and it's like the best expose there is well yeah don't think that the research was, was that great oh my god so total fucking lie so that's what he's referring to. But see, a very different spin on them. So hmm. not just like they're possessed by demons. It's like, well, they're making kids grow up too much. They think they're too real. Yeah. I, I Baby all gone. She eats. What's next? Yeah. That's 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 the realest doll I've ever come across. She so fucking ba- eats and drinks. So if baby all gone choked. <laughs> On those cherries. On those cherries out of her jar. Would they send you a certificate? That's all I want to know. I would write them a letter and be like, hey, I'm just letting you know, poor baby all gone is all gone herself. There'd be, instead of in the commercial where the dad's like, she ate him. He'd be like, she choked. She choked. She ate it. (laughs) There you go. She ate it. I was like, I need to come up with a good pun for this. I've been trying for the last, like. She ate it. (laughs) Oh, God. Any hoozle. Let's talk about our girl Barb. Our girl Babs. Barbies. But you are Babs. As far as Barbie goes, apparently she teaches young girls a distorted view of reality. Mm-hmm. He says that they believe they will own a Corvette sports car and own a dream house. Excuse me, Ferrari? <laughs> what is she a peasant I... with the with the with the Corvette? I know. I had a Ferrari for mine. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't even have a lot of shit. I had like two actual three actual like Barbie things and one. You used a Little Mermaid bubble game with it for my for TV. Baby, for my TV. It's because she spent all of her budget on a Ferrari. On the Ferrari, <laughs> yeah. It didn't have a. Um, but by the time it got to me, the windshield was missing. So Damn. It, was, it was a little wild. Damn, little jalopy there, huh? Yeah. So you know they think they're gonna have these things, and when these fantasies don't material materialize for them in real life Mm -hmm. he says that they become disillusioned with life and you know what he ain't fucking wrong my barbie kitchen had a gas stove i have i'm 33 years old and i'm still waiting on owning a gas stove at some point never had one nope so it's like yeah that fantasy never materialized so you know he ain't wrong i blame barbie yep babs you got me all disillusioned with life right and as expected, because it's criticism that pretty much everyone gives, he says Barbie puts too much focus on beauty. But the direction he takes it is... Oh, God. Ready for this? Quote. I'm already holding my head in my hands. Children should not grow up expecting to be beautiful. Instead, they should be taught that nationally, very beautiful women make up a very small percentage of the population. And that most women are average, but equally accepted in the eyes of God. No. It should be emphasized that average is okay. Wow. Yeesh. Wow. (laughs) So there's no like, you don't have to look just like Barbie to be beautiful. You know, we're all unique and beautiful in our own way. That's not the messaging here. Nope. Instead, it's like, you're average at best, but that's totally okay. (laughs) You're not beautiful, but God accepts you anyway, you fucking uggo. 
Like, isn't that like, doesn't, isn't that what that sounds like? It does. And, and I think when you, when you look at the message that Ruth Handler, right? Yeah. Her whole thing was like, your potential is whatever you want. Like, that was the point of that, was that you can literally, like, you are the limitations that are there. Whatever you want to be, you can be. And it's going to take some work, and it's going to take some dreams, but you can be those things. It's just such a weird thing to be like, let's fuck with that. (laughs) And give you a really weird, twisted version of the other side of that. It's awful. (laughs) It's absolutely Most of us awful. are fucking average and that's okay. You're not beautiful, but God accepts you anyway. Like <laughs> there's it, there's just like a nugget of insult it's in so all of it. Weird. There's a nugget of insult. Like the messaging should be don't get caught up in having to look like Barbie. You're beautiful as It's not about as looks. You are. Yeah, but it's not about looking but like any certain way. Like you can mm-hmm. be beautiful and not look just like Barbie. Like <laughs> that should be the messaging. Instead, it's like, not many of us are, not many of you girls are beautiful. I mean, nationally, the average, I mean, it's just not really going to happen for you. Numbers just aren't in your favor, honey. It's it's not going to happen for you, you know? It's so fucking weird. I know. It's so weird. I know. And what's fascinating to me is that this stuff is equally, like, fucking bonkers, but it's been entirely different than the other stuff mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. it's like the, the cabbage patch doll this is also fucking bonkers but completely different from the other it's fucking wackadoodle flavor shit of bonkers. Yeah, yeah and then this like barbie shit completely different form of wackadoodle than those other ladies it's <laughs> oh like the, 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 the all the forms of all the flavors of wackadoodle is just <laughs> man oh <sighs> okay that's enough for barbie a girl as far as Smurfs goes, he calls them probably one of the most cute and innocent of the toys. Okay. I think we have a closet Smurf lover over here Damn. with the way he said that, you know? They're so Smurf and cute. <laughs> yeah, well, probably one of the most cute. I think you're, I think Damn. there's something behind that. Mm-hmm. I think you like them. Again, his issue is the show, more specifically. He's got beef with Papa Smurf. And how he uses his magic and spells to, like, get them out of jams all the time, you know? Mm. The sorcery. This, he says, turn um, in turn means that the children playing with the Smurfs will do the same since that's what's been modeled to them in the show. And, quote, the more he uses occult practices in his play, the more the occult will be become a part of his life. It will no longer seem strange, but will become the norm. So that's where the, the quiet and sneaky, you know, comes in, just like he yeah. said earlier. Mm-hmm. Same way Barbie took over that whole episode of ours, you know. They just creep in. You don't even notice. They just take over. Yeah. Becomes normal. Where's my Ferrari? Yep. You need a windshield or are you okay with... <laughs> I'm good no windshield. I'll okay. just take the Ferrari. So the Smurf section in the book is actually pretty short. It's not even two full pages. Is it because the Smurfs are small? Murp. So the so the section is really small. Murph. Murph. <laughs> That's good. She did it. She did it, guys. But I do want to expand on it a little. In a video I found online of uh, Phil Phillips, he he was being interviewed by a pastor, and they're discussing various toys. And suddenly, he had a whole lot more to say about the Smurfs that he didn't say in his book. Okay. Um. 
So even more spin, more stretching. Oh, man. Now they depict death because they're blue with black lips. Oh, my God. Um, Okay. And just to round it out, he says that there's homosexual tones because of most of the Smurfs being male besides Smurfette. Yeah. I think he was secretly attracted to Smurfette. (laughs) Kind of like drunk uncle with the green M&M lady. <laughs> kind of like that sexy green M&M. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I feel like that's where this is coming from. He's he's trying to deflect. Well, speaking of Smurfette, he says that she started as a male and it was magically transformed into a female. Which, I gotta say, I am not well versed in Smurf. That wasn't like something I know a ton about, but my recollection... Is that whoever that bad guy is in it, like the main, like whatever, mm-hmm. he sent the Smurfette, but it backfired, like to use, like to go against them. It backfired because she wanted to become a part of them. So then didn't pop a Smurf through like a thing where it like turned her to looking more like them. And she just changed looks and got her blonde hair from black hair. Huh. I don't remember she did any not, of this. She did not turn. My understanding, she was always a girl. It was just that he changed the way she looked because it's like she became one of them. And that gave her her little like heels and her blonde hair and her little white dress. Okay. I'm not super versed in uh, Smurf Smurf. lore. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm saying is I have no recollection of it going from boy to girl. She was just Smurfette. (laughs) Oh my God. He's just being fucking dramatic. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so where was all that earlier? You know? Like. If you got all this revelation from God and you did all your research, why wasn't that in your fucking book, Phil? Yeah. It's just that, like, the people that are going to eat this up, all of these things, it feels like he had to, like, amp it up even more. Yes, exactly. He just had to keep adding to it to, like, keep the ball rolling. Yeah, because he's like, oh, shit, this is getting boring. Yeah, keep the outrage going. Yes, it's like, I'm like, that's why it's not in your fucking book, because it didn't fucking exist. Yeah. Because you're making it up as you go along. Yeah. Woo woo! All aboard the outrage train. It's ridiculous. So my it's little so pony. Smurf and ridiculous. <laughs> Smurf. Um. So my little pony. So the issue. Well, I mean, the main issue is that with the ones that have wings or are unicorns because they're mythological, which he says is in direct contradiction to God's word. He also says unicorns are a symbol of the New Age movement and a sim- symbol of the Antichrist, which Daniel described in his vision as the little horn that rises in the midst of the ten horns. Not to mention that the cartoon is riddled with the occult via flying dragons with demonic-looking riders. Mm. Does anybody want to tell him that the idea of Pegasus came from the ancient Greeks and that was way before our, our, board, our boy Jesus? direct contradiction he'll just sit there and tell you like it's direct contradiction it's direct he just yeah he's talking about like unicorns obviously mythical creature but like the idea of like horses with wing like pegasus was a long time ago my dude he talks about pegasus and shit and i don't get into it but he doesn't acknowledge that part like when you know what i mean so he hated the movie hercules 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 so that's it for my little pony okay besides barbie this next one is my one of my favorites in the cute and innocent category. I'm so ready. Care Bears. So before we get into some of the more obvious ones, I first want to start with one that is really something. <laughs> Care Bears, he says, emphasize feelings, especially the feeling of love. I mean, 
That's awful. It, clearly. They're teaching this to our children. I know. And and he even has a part where he's just like, you know, on the outside, they look like they're presenting the things of Jesus, you know, loving each other and your neighbors. But here's the problem is what he gets down to. Oh, you know. There was no diligence bear. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> he says, quote, most of the Care Bears actions are dictated by their feelings. However, the Bible tells us that true love is not based solely on feelings, but on commitment. So again, it's like you're wanting them to make these statements. Oh, we don't just love, but we're also committed. It's like the same way like <laughs> toys are supposed to be like, oh, by the way, I'm Christian. Like, so when they're talking about love, they're all supposed to be like, hey, but we also mean commit commitment to like fucking stupid. Um, still going within this quote. The humanistic element of our society wants children to base their life and actions on their feelings. In reality, the most miserable people I know are those who have based their lives on their feelings instead of the word of God. Well, it sure sounds like he's basing a lot of this book on his feelings about <laughs> toys. So, but you, it's and so he like, sounds like a miserable people, a miserable person to be around. So, Phil, feel. Well, no, no, fell. But it's like, yeah, fuck those bears and their feelings. We've seen many times throughout the course of studying IBLP and other like adjacent related materials, how much feelings are discouraged. Mm -hmm. And the devil's advocate type people will run in here and say like, it's true. You shouldn't base all your decisions on feeling, you know, on feelings because feelings are fleeting and not always factual, which find a fucking dandy those that's true sure absolutely those things can be true but this is a far cry from just saying hey like you know as people we sometimes have big feelings and sometimes with big feelings comes big reactions and maybe Mm -hmm. rash decisions let's you know let's just learn to pause and evaluate before we do that correct instead it's completely demon like demonizing having those feelings like at all right yeah <laughs> so they're to me they're two different things it's like this doesn't even need the fucking ad the devil's advocate here it's like because that's not even what they're doing <laughs> they they won't even acknowledge how feelings logic and evaluation can all come into play together into an equation mm-hmm. instead it's just like oh feelings you're gonna be miserable <laughs> like you know it's fucking ridiculous yeah on a random like real world idea um we were talking about it at work today about how the idea of if you're going through something in your personal life and you go to work it's like you got to leave those feelings at the door fuck that shit we're human beings there is no way that what is going on in your personal life is not going to affect what happens to you at work now you can make a choice in how you yeah yeah, and how you use that. And it's like, you know what? I'm 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 still going to perform. I'm still going to do my job. But you can tell when somebody's having an issue. It doesn't mean they have to turn off their feelings that they can mm. still continue to do their job and they can still continue to express what they need to even if that means like, hey, uh-huh. I might need a little extra space today. I might need a little bit yeah. of this or whatever. But it doesn't mean you have to fucking turn them off. Yeah. I have an I had an employee last week that was off in her performance. And she's usually a very perf- high-performing employee. And at one point, I went up to her and I was like, hey, you seem, you just seem a little bit different today, seem a little off. Is everything okay? And she told me a couple things that are going on in her personal life. And I'm like, I get it. 
I completely understand. Yeah. And she's like, I know. I just got to like leave it at the door. And I was like, no. it's not possible. No. And I was like, but what we can do is we're going to we're going to work together and we're going to get you through the day. That's the best thing we can do. Yep. And I was like, so this is the way that the next three hours are going to go. This is what I need out of you. This is what success looks like. And we did it. And when she left for the day, I was like, thank you very much. Good luck with all of that stuff. If you need to change your schedule or do anything, let me know. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Leave it at the door. I know. I hate that shit. Yeah. I just really hate that they're teaching children that feelings are bad. Like, it's just sad to me. Like, when we should be validating children, fuck, and adults, you know, validating people for having their feelings, letting them know it's okay to feel them, Mm -hmm. and also teaching them, like, coping skills or, you know, I don't know, just like... What do you do about those feelings? But never just act like having them is outright bad. Yeah. It's very Mm -hmm. sad. That's just like, you know, these fucking bears and their fucking feelings. (laughs) When you said it, I thought about it. In the voice of Mr. Mackey from South Park. Feelings are bad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it just gets crazier, though. Because his next line is, quote, In a sense, Care Bears offer a form of humanistic psychology designed to include love, involvement, and spontaneity with the goal of instilling personal growth and achievement of full human potential. Sorry, I just I just gagged a little bit with everything you just said. It was awful. You know, love, involvement, personal growth, oh. all very bad. Uh, he calls this humanism. And so if this is fucking humanism, fucking sign me up. I'm a humanist. Yes. Like, it's ridiculous, you know. Oh, yeah. It's like you're literally trying to sell that, like, fuck these bears because of their love, involvement, and personal growth. <laughs> fuck these bears. I think I've had that multiple- That care a lot. <laughs> I've had a lot of people in my life that will say out in public, like, I don't get offended, like, I don't have feelings, I don't get hurt by things, and I'm like, you're the person that reacts more. The people that say that are the people that act more emotionally based on their feelings than anybody else. Because they're trying to convince you, like, the whole time. Nobody can hurt my feelings because I, like, don't have them. (laughs) Meanwhile, they won't fucking shut up about it. Right, Right, yeah. Um, of course, he also says it's a show portrays magic. Not that interesting. Very, very, like, you'd expect that. Like, you know, it's... I mean, if I drew a picture of something on my stomach, I expect that I could project a beam well, in the shape of that that logo. Well, out. I have to get to that. <laughs> oh, shit. Because what's interesting is his beef with ca- the Care Bear stare, what you're, what you're talking about. Um, it's very... Very intertwined, very wrapped up with his hatred of Eastern religions. Oh, okay. So during this Care Bear stare, as Tim just described for us, and did the motion with his tummy, <laughs> with his tum-tum. With my little tum-tum over here. Um, you know, they have this beam that shines from their little, their little tum. He says that those who practice Eastern religions believe in a person is most powerful when all their energy is focused on a central point of the body. So he says that the, you know, the Care Bear Stare is essentially the same concept. Another example of subtle deception. Can I bring up something that I was always confused by? About the Care Bear Stare? The same idea. So his issue with this is that 
Eastern religions are are pointing at the fact that you have you have power when it's focused on one part of your body, right? Correct. Laying of hands in the Catholic in the cat growing up Catholic was always weird to me. Because it was that I it was this idea that like we are going to pray so hard and focus so hard and if you're having issues like we're gonna we're gonna put our hands on you mm-hmm. and it's going to have a healing effect or mm-hmm. it's going to be supportive or it's gonna be all of these different things. It is literally focusing your energy or whatever exact. it is energy into chakra one. chi like whatever those things are into a part of your body concentrated prey Con- <laughs> yeah yeah but i just imagined but like, the funny you- part is you're saying that specific to the catholic church but then they would just be like well the catholic church is bad so that's you know like- <laughs> well the catholic catholics don't count yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's that Pagans. same way like that's what that reminds me of is it's very much like that was something that always confused me. All I'm asking is that next time I'm sick and I feel like I need a little something, I hope you direct your your tum at me. You know what I'm going to do first, though? And shoot like uh, some you know energy my way. You know what I'm going to do first, though, is I'm going to draw a box of Sudafed on my stomach because then I'm going to project that energy onto you and it'll be Sudafed and it'll hopefully clear your congestion or whatever. Well, I can't have, sleep you know. like lately. Could you draw like an Ambien on your stomach and <laughs> push it my direction? I'll be like, Z-Quil! <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. But you know what? So I'm we're, I'm closing out. That's all I have. Do you have something else about Care Bears? No, I was just going to say, can I be your melatonin bear? <laughs> Please! <laughs> And then you'll be like, care a lot. I care a lot. <laughs> I I loved care. Dude, As I a mean, very, very young child, like, I don't remember a lot of stuff, but I remember, like, very little. I'm going to reference two things. Actually, I'm sorry, three things, and I want people to let us know if you remember these things. I have very young memories of Care Bears, and I have memories of Eureka's Castle and Under the Umbrella Tree. That's all I have to say. Let me know if you remember those in the comments. <laughs> I don't know two of those things because they weren't within my Under wheelhouse of what tree. I was. I wasn't. That wasn't part of my exposure. I just watched like a thirty-five minute video on like the the history of Under the Umbrella Tree, and I was like in my feelings for like two days. Well, now that and Mavis Beacon, I've been fucking. I've I'm missing out on life. We're gonna open your world. All right, let's but, move on. So that's it for Care Bears, but I just, I do want to bring up one thing about these, you know, fucking bears with their fucking feelings. Um, those fucking bears that care. Um, he, he doesn't mention something that I, I think is important. Okay. About them teaching distorted views of reality that could lead to disillusionment, mm-hmm. just like Babs, you know. I still have not recovered from the disappointment of finding out I'll never be able to own a fucking cloud car. <laughs> I don't want her fucking Corvette. I don't want her Ferrari. I want a sweet ass cloud car. <laughs> I am disillusioned. Oh man. He left out the most important part. <laughs> you just like unlocked a core memory. <laughs> the, the way they go in that little like cloud car. You can't tell me you didn't feel the vibe in that moment. Can we talk about Care Bears was kind of the shit. Dude, it's like, get in. 
we're going caring. You know what I mean? It's like get a loser. We're going caring. <laughs> Fucking awesome. I want right. to create that meme so you can post it. <laughs> me rolling up. Get in, and, loser. Okay, we're am going I making caring. this up? Am I making that? Tell me if this is true. Am I making up that they wore like fucking sweet ass sunglasses too? I remember that. I thought that, yes, I want to wear those sunglasses in that sweet ass cloud car. Mm-hmm. Get in, loser. We're going caring, maybe thrifting. That's, <laughs> that's what a, I want to do. That's a new sticker. That's what I want to <laughs> do. A new sticker. Oh, man. Any hoozle. Now we're going to go to Rainbow Bright. See, the beauty of this is that you and I are so reference-oriented on a lot of things. And this is like turmoil in the toy box just like opened the floodgates. I mean, it unleashed it. It did. It's the expose of our childhood. (laughs) All right, Rainbow Bright. Besides the violence and the horrifying monsters that she meets and is up against in her, you know, in these violent fights. Of course. His real issue is the rainbow itself. Oh my god. But it's not quite where our minds would go to today. Okay. Today, I can, you know, pretty safely assume that uh, Phil of today would probably argue that the rainbow is indoctrinating our children with the gay agenda. Of course. Which, by the way, one of my favorite memes and shirts that I've seen people wear is when it's like a a calendar and it says the gay agenda. And each day of the week it says, be gay. Love it. (laughs) It's pretty (laughs) good. Fucking love it. Um, So I definitely think that that's what we would think of today when you think about what what, what problem would they have with the rainbow and rainbow bright. But back in 1986, Phil's beef was that new agers use rainbows to signify their building of the rainbow bridge between man and Lucifer. The only rainbow bridge I'm aware of is the one where Momo and my hamster Gonzo were at. Mm-hmm. Do you know of this bridge to Lucifer? Um, I do know of one rainbow bridge, but it's from like Norse mythology. And the that was how they traveled through the different realms. The Bifrost. Okay. It was the Rainbow Bridge. And then people know it nowadays because of Marvel and like Thor. Okay, Thor and Loki used, shit, so. used the Bifrost, which is the Rainbow Bridge. Oh, see, I don't know that shit. I'm like, that's, where, still, my, he that's where my Momo is. Oh, the Momo. Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so that's, that's his do, issue with Rainbow Bright. How do you make that, like... I don't know. Somebody get GPS because I think Homie is lost. Like, how did you get there? He didn't even have MapQuest back then. So this is why he's like, what did he have back then? A fucking compass? What, a compass at the bottom of a flashlight over here? Yeah. So those were the toys that I was most interested in sharing uh, because, like I said, just they were just kind of like more of a stretch. Yeah. Ironically, the ones that he writes much more about, like goes into like pages and pages are the ones that I find the least interesting. Okay. <laughs> just because I feel like they're obvious. And I don't know. Just like you know what he would say about them. So G.I. Joe is violent. Color me surprised. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is. Everything is wrong with Dungeons and Dragons. I mean. Well, yeah. Color me fucking surprised. We don't want. You know. Nerdy people to have friends. So, so it's like stuff like that. I'm just like. I just didn't think it was that interesting. And some of it we can cover in future things. With like, it's that low be, hanging th- fruit. Yeah, it yeah. is. Like I feel mm-hmm. like it's been talked about. But like some of it I would actually even talk about it more in an episode about Satanic Panic. Mm-hmm. Like not maybe specific to this. So I just kind of picked and you know. I had to pick and choose because I couldn't cover every fucking toy in the book. Of course. But before I close out on toys. I do want to mention He-Man. 
because even though I'll be talking about him specifically, it's an overall theme he expresses over the course of many toys. Um, he actually wrote an entire chapter devoted to He-Man. Okay. Picking apart every single thing he could, but goddamn was it boring. I mean, it's a whole chapter, but it was like the two pages of the other ones were more interesting. Yeah. So fucking boring. But the chapter starts off with the first line. He is strong, handsome, and all-powerful. He is the master of the universe. He is He-Man. And then goes on to say that to many children, he has become a godlike figure. So to me, that's what his real issue boils down to. He can sit there and spend page after fucking boring page (laughs) breaking down the supposed occult symbolism behind each and every character of the show. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's it's really the God thing that really chaps his ass at the end of the day. <laughs> um, so much so, he actually brings it up way ear- earlier in the book. Like an entire 50 pages before the He-Man chapter. Oh, wow. Which I think it's fucking weird to me. It's like, why didn't you just put that in the He-Man chapter? Mm-hmm. But this whole that whole outlining of this book is fucking janky anyway. And rude, it's not great. So in this 50 pages earlier before He-Man... He tells several short stories regarding He-Man. Little anecdotes, you know. This is this gives you the... This is very Bill Gothard-esque okay. with these little anecdotal stories. So that's okay. why I wanted to include them. The first story is about a mother and son riding in the car while listening to a sermon on the radio. And the minister started to pray, Our Lord God, the master of the universe, when suddenly the little boy jumped up from the back seat of the car and said, Mommy... God isn't the master of the universe. He-Man is. Damn. So, see, you know, it's problem. Problem. These kids think that He-Man's God. More powerful than God. Did God ever write on Battle Cat? Probably not. I don't think so. Didn't see that in the Bible. Sure didn't. <laughs> A little girl ran around the house doing everything by the power of Grayskull, which isn't that the castle? hmm But lucky for this little lassie, Phil himself was able to uh, to help get her back on the straight and narrow. Okay. Again, because straight <laughs> is all that's allowed. Um, she got to hear him speak at church, and then she started running around the house doing everything by the power of Jesus. So oh, it's a good thing okay. Phil was there to. Good. I mean, you know, set her straight. Dodged a, dodged a bullet there. Another mother and her son were in the car, and they narrowly avoided a car accident. So the mother was shaken up. So the boy puts his hand on his mother's lap and said, Don't worry, Mommy. He-Man would have saved us. I think the real problem here is moms and sons in cars together. <laughs> They're two for two in this, like, you know. I wonder if Phil Phillips has a, a deep-seated memory of something with, like, his, his mother, mother in the in car. The car mm-hmm. So that's where he's projecting. But they're two for two. And... Isn't that really, like, all the facts that you need for, like, these types? Like, to them, correlation is causation. So, I'm like, to me, I'm like, it's the mom and the sons in the car together. (laughs) I don't don't think it's He-Man at all. I think the problem is cars. I think it's She-Son that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, It's very nice. It's very nice. Um, Okay, so. (laughs) Oh, you know what, though? On another note, again, with the always missing the biggest issues, like the fucking disillusionment okay. of the the Care Bear, you know, that mm-hmm. I, the cloud car. 
what he doesn't bring up, the worst thing about He-Man... He-Man? He-Man. <laughs> He-Man is that unfortunate, tragic haircut. The haircut was so bad. If we're going to talk about uh. the things wrong with He-Man, it's the haircut. As a... There's a point to this. As a comic book lover, it always made me laugh that nobody knew that Clark Kent was Superman because he was literally just wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. And then nothing covered his face, so then he would go and he would change, and then he'd be in a different outfit, and they'd be like, he's a different person. Always funny to me, right? Can we talk about like him as the prince and him as He-Man was the same energy? No, yeah. Like It was the exact was same it, stuff. Prince Adam? Like, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah Prince Adam. Yeah, it was the same. Like, you didn't do anything. What, you took a shirt off and now you're wearing, like, you're wearing a different outfit and all of a sudden he's a different person? Come on now. Well, yeah. (laughs) In the closing chapter of the book, he reiterates that he did this because the Lord spoke to him, not because he was, like, you know, all fanatical in nature about all of this. (laughs) That he didn't immediately run out and begin proclaiming that toys are bad to everyone, but instead he researched badly. Um,. (laughs) And received revelation. And that, quote, my thinking continued to change, become solidified as a result of research. One thing I try never to do in my presentations on toys and cartoons is speculate. Oh. I cannot speculate. I need facts. Oh. I'm pretty sure this was steeped in speculation. (laughs) So that is a fucking laughable closure. Like, Uh oh, I, I never speculate. Facts, facts only. Not that I'm secretly attracted to Smurfette. That's not what caused all this. I'm doing side eye real hard right now. <laughs> not that. Never. I mean, it's just, uh, I just think it's so funny. Oh, man. So as mentioned at the beginning, this book had a huge effect on many Christian families, particularly the children of the 80s, 90s, and today. <laughs> so I want to close this out by sharing some of their experiences and Quite frankly, how traumatizing this was for some. Okay. For the record, all of these come from the comment section of various reviews, um, like po- like blog posts where people like reviewed um, the book mm-hmm. or just like were talking about it. Some that were personal and kind of making fun of it, even to some that were like actually on like Christian.net or something like that. <laughs> so someone same, uh, named Michael said... My parents read this travesty when I was six, and it completely ruined my childhood. I still remember the day I got home from school, and my dad was out in the backyard. His burning barrel lit ablaze. The toys of my youth were gone in an hour, and the bitterness for a god that would sentence my toys to a fiery grave began. That's sad. That's awful. It is. Um, Roxanne said, I was a victim of this book also. I personally read it for the first time when I was seven years old, and it is on my parents' bookshelf to this day, 27 years later. The fear and confusion it caused was far worse than any so-called occult exposure from the toys mentioned. I still vividly remember my parents going through my toys, separating all of my toys listed, and burning them in a church bonfire. Jeez. And I do want to point out that he just kind of randomly calls things a cult and we'll talk, he will, you know, talk about symbolism and things, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like before where it's like when all the Barbie stuff, anything you don't like, you just call it like demonic and oh, evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. He's yeah. just like, oh, I don't like it. A cult. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's the same shit. Yeah. Um, a 
comment where the username was O'Haraville said something that I completely agreed with. Um, quote, as far as the He-Man testimony is concerned, I was a childhood He-Man fan and I was also subjected to turmoil in the toy box as a teenager. I tend to think that children want to believe in their commercial superheroes. I know I did. This is probably anecdotal evidence of a child's affection for his action figure, not a tale of spiritual warfare. Exactly. It's yeah. not, it's not that fucking serious. Yeah. Like I don't think that the kid, like in his little fucking stories that I mean, are did they really happen? But it's like like how like if the parent is like, "No, God is the almighty." He, he, like if this is what you want if you, mm-hmm. if you I don't give a shit. But I'm saying if this parent is like just reiterate to your kid is like, "Oh no, that God for mm-hmm. us is the almighty. He man is a character, but you can really blah 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 and he does right. these good things or like mm-hmm. like just explain explain fucking move on. Yeah. Like I don't think these children are really going to grow up thinking that He-Man fucking does all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It's not I that think, serious. I think there's a lot of before you finish, like I think there's a lot of things that are that are usually consumed by children that are very thematic. It's a way to teach your kids different themes that they're going to deal with as adults. It's been coming up recently because I love, like, my favorite superhero as a kid was always Batman. Batman was the shit. And he wasn't a superhero. He didn't have superpowers. He was just a rich guy. He was a rich guy that was the best detective in the world, right? But the whole theme of all of that was getting over such tragedy as a kid with both of his parents dying. And how do you deal with that? And over the years of all the Batman stuff and all the storylines and the movies and all these things, they showed these different interpretations of how you would deal with that as a person. And it came from these ideas of, like, such loss. But, like, the theme of it at the end of it is, like, such tragedy is not the end of your life. Regardless of what you do with it, you can move on from this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you boil it all down to the very bottom. I I never read Batman... Being like, something bad's going to happen to me, and I'm going to put on the suit of an animal, and I'm going to fight crime. <laughs> exactly. Like, that was never the no. thing. But there was an idea that, like... It's their problem with imagination. Yeah. Yep. It's, what it, it's mm-hmm. really what the problem is. Yep. Because they don't even want to hear it coming from a kid being like, they're fucking four. Someday they're not going to think He-Man rules the world. Like, you yeah. know, like, I mean, mm-hmm. get off it. Yeah. But let's ruin ch- children's childhood in the meantime. Like, mm-hmm. you know, traumatize them. Yep. Um, Jenna said, this is something my husband and I talk about a lot because he was a victim of this book. Oof. The pastor at his church, which is now our church, extolled the virtue of this book in one of his sermons and his mom went nuts over it. He could no longer have the care bear that comforted him in the hospital and other toys that he'd been playing with. How sad is that? Oof. Like to one day be like r- the thing that brought you like a ton of comfort at like a big moment in your life as a child and have it like fucking ripped from you one day. Mm-hmm. Like and your mother's just like, yeah, I can't have this anymore. Right. And it's like, let's fucking burn it at the church. Yeah. Um, This final one is super personal in the fact that it was a comment written on Phil and his wife Cynthia's blog where they only made three posts between 2007 and 2009. Mm-hmm. So it certainly wasn't like a popping thing. 
And there's a good chance that they never even saw the comment because it was left in 2017, <laughs> far after their very last post. Of course. But um, Anonymous said, here's a personal note for you crackpots. You ruined my goddamn childhood with your con artist, money-grubbing, paranoia-induced bullshit about toys being the motherfucking devil. Could you even imagine how traumatic it, traumatic it is would be for a reasonably average five-year-old to have to witness a bunch of strangers stealing his toys and burning them in the yard, all the while speaking in tongues and goofy shit like that? Fuck you, you dim-witted assholes. Damn. Oh, I have ADD. Read my book and give me money. You know what? Everybody has ADD, you prick. Doesn't make you fucking special. Uh, which I just want to sidestep. He did. So he wrote several other books, some of which we will talk about further down point, the line. Yeah. He did have one all about discovering he has ADD in his 30s and then talking <laughs> about that. He wrote books about toys that you should, children should be playing with. Oh my God. So the only thing... I'm curious now about his ADD book because of the way he says um, this next part. Doesn't make... So about having ADD. Doesn't mm -hmm. make you fucking special. You know what your issue is? You're fucking arrogant. Too arrogant to realize that maybe talking to God was a side effect of having a sick brain instead of using that as an excuse to shatter childhoods. So that that's the only part that makes me curious. Is like, does he somehow... Is this guy just interpreting that? is that way or right. does he actually say something in his book the presentation or is his something in his book being like well you know i think that i thought this back then yeah i'm not sure i can't speak to it i'm just saying it makes me curious mm -hmm. um using that as an excuse to shatter childhoods you really are a fucking asshole phil if god the one you believe in does exist he's most likely fucking laughing at you so they're mad very mad um can you get me my thermometer? Because he seems thoroughly roasted right now. Mm -hmm. Roasted the shit out of this dude. You really are a fucking asshole, Phil, he says. Man. And that's where I'm going to leave this. But that, I just wanted to just kind of highlight there at the end that this mm -hmm. isn't just... It wasn't just this, like, kooky book. Like, it literally, like, yeah. had kids, like, fucking traumatized. Mm-hmm. And I think I thought about it a lot during our, our Barbie dig, um, which was like, a lot of these things are adult or hyper-religious mentalities that are being projected onto things that don't have those inherently in their makeup. Yeah. And I, I think that was the most sad part is because I think you... Yes, you should control the things that your children are exposed to. And you have every right to. Like, Absolutely. I don't have, a, you know, as a parent, mm -hmm. you can choose all of those things. Yeah. But I also feel like your responsibility as a parent is to not project your things onto your kids' stuff that doesn't need that. Does, like, yeah. They don't and need traumatize that. them in the meantime. Yeah. You know what? Control what your kids watch. Like, I'm I'm completely on board with that. But when you're taking things that don't inherently have this part of your makeup and you're completely destroying your 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 child's time and their comfort and their all of these things, especially when it's based off of a book by some crackpot, according to this person... 
that's the absolute worst. And it's like that one comment that was like, that caused more damage to me than any of the things that you say would have happened to me for having those toys. Yeah. And I think the sad part is the, and I may be wrong, but I feel like the parents that would be willing to take their kids stuff and burn it because some guy wrote a book about how it's evil. They're looking at it through the lens of, I was trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think that, that idea of I could have done something different. Oh, I may have overdone it. Like, yeah. Right. We talked about it in the first part where it was like the the little things that you do that you're like, I have so much guilt over this thing. I don't think these parents have that. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I don't think so either. Because they're thinking about themselves and they're thinking about I'm trying to protect my child. Well, and just kind of taking this to a kind of even larger level, just talking about people who have come out of IBLP, there's the ones that it's actually, you're really grateful. It's great to hear when they're like, yep, my parents actually fully came out of it and mm-hmm. they've actually been apologetic whenever, but that's more rare. A lot of times oh, yeah. you they're either entirely fully in it or they're in this like middle ground where they've gravitated to more, maybe just like fundy light or evangelical, but yeah. they still won't fully, ad- they won't admit mm-hmm. how damaging what they did. They might be like, oh, I disagree with some of these things or like whatever, but they like won't admit that like, oh, yep, this was largely harmful. And I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it takes it takes a lot of emotional maturity to, number one, apologize about Period. something. But then when you have something like this that becomes so much of your makeup, like people use that as part of their identity. Admitting that they did that wrong is like admitting they're an awful person or that they're this or that. It's like the ability to admit that you made a mistake or that your thought process was flawed at a point doesn't exist and i think that there's like a triple whammy i think that people have a hard time apologizing period Mm -hmm. i think that people have a hard time just like the point you just made when it's something that was such a huge part of their makeup Mm -hmm. and then three i think people especially have a hard time apologizing to their children Ooh, yeah if you've listened if you've listened to our pickles we had a little bit of that yep so just to kind of sum it up um it just felt like to me like his he really pinpointed toys and shows and things that were popular at the time Mm -hmm. and that he felt like he had to come up with something bad about each of them and that's why to me some of them are such fucking stretches (laughs) like he was on a mission to find something to make this point on a larger scale so he had to find something in everything or it wasn't going to work of course and i also feel like that's what i was talking about earlier why then all of a sudden he was adding on to the smurfs and stuff like that it's like you have to keep building off it because you have to keep finding things because that's his ministry yeah. There has to be something wrong with everything because mm-hmm. that's his ministry. Yeah. So. There's an economic aspect to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, um, I just think that he's making it. He was making it all up as he went and everybody was eating it up. I, As we were talking, there was only one memory that got unlocked that I want to talk about. So... I was an only child, Mexican only child, weird, right? Um, Very unusual. After my parents had me, they tried to have a couple kids. There was some miscarriages, and then it was like, hey, this probably isn't a good idea. So, um, The joke I make is like, well, I mean, when you get this is the first run. Yeah. When he's, when he's giving me a very, a very, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> smile right No, now. honey. You can't improve upon perfection. 
How come you said it like that? How come your voice got all high? Um, anyway, I was an only child. So there was a lot of things, and, and my parents were a little restrictive. They were restrictive parents. Um, so there was a lot of times where like I didn't spend a lot of time with other people until I became like an older child. Um, so I remember getting, I had a bunch of friends that were getting into Magic the Gathering cards. And I bought like a starter deck, right? And I remember going through it and there's each color that corresponds to the different kinds of like cards you can play and the different magic you have in there corresponds to kind of a different thing. Usually green is very naturalistic. So there are things that have to do with, um, you know, a lot of like plants and stuff like that. There is a black magic Ooh. And I specifically remember Eesh. trying to talk to my dad about it. Once again, sheltered only child. Um, I remember trying to talk to my dad about it and asking him just like art wise, like I had the cards of different colors that I loved the art of. And I was like, which cards out of these do you think have a cool art? And I remember going and my parents weren't really like this. They weren't like witchcraft like catholics they were they weren't those people but i remember going do you like this one it was a really cool like black magic card that was like a swamp and i was like do you like this one do you like black magic and i will never forget my dad going i don't like black magic <laughs> and you just it's, unlocked all of that it's in that my same head. energy when he was like hey hey to me <laughs> when i said pissed yeah, yeah. hey hey <laughs> yeah so and from parents that were restrictive but weren't like that it was just very funny. i don't like that i don't like black magic <laughs> oh, oh, man. Funny. this right. was this was a a very entertaining and as usual i feel like i say this every time skipped over a lot but i felt like i tried to get like what i thought was like the highlights oh yeah this was a good one you did good thank you but so, turmoil in the toy box <laughs> it's so dramatic if you have memories of under the umbrella tree or eureka's castle i feel so left out please let me know and maybe i'll send some like screenshots to whitney so she can put them on the visuals because i feel like once i got into that like memory mode like in digging i i feel like i fell down a hole of things that i really loved as a kid so um anyway if you remember those let me know if you also felt like any of these any of these toys were evil let me know <laughs> if you were if you really wanted that clown car or that cloud, cloud, it's not cloud a cl- i don't car, want a clown sorry. car i want a cloud car <laughs> and i want those fucking rocking shades <laughs> get in loser we're going karen and thrifting. All right. Well, as usual, feel free to buy us a pickle or a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash diggingupthedug. Send us a message at diggingupthedugers at gmail.com. Enjoy our episode visuals and other shenanigans on Instagram at diggingupthedugerspod. And if you'd like to send some traditional mail, we do have a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 5973, Glendale, Arizona, 85312. I feel like the visuals in this are going to be good. Yep. So have a wonderful week.